everybody, welcome or welcome back to B&B Anime. I am Blue, and today I am here with the, uh, Semanifique, Brad. You almost made it sound like you had no clue who you are trying to introduce there for a second. I don't, I don't know who you are. Who are you? I don't know. I've been on vacation. I don't even know who I am anymore. Yeah. I don't feel like me. How was vacation? So vacation was fun for a babysitting trip. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It wasn't necessarily a babysitting trip. Everybody else drank. I did not drink because drinking will kill me. But Literally. I have some fun stories that I don't know if I want to tell on this or not. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. So I had to kick drunk people off a golf cart and let me drive the first night because they were really adamant about going to dinner. And I had to be the responsible one and hop on the golf cart. But then once they started trying to drive a golf, oh, fuck, drive <laughs> a golf cart down the middle of the road, I was like, you know what? Maybe I need to drive because there's the sidewalk over there that could actually get us <laughs> to mm. dinner. Mm. So per perhaps we should drive on the sidewalk so y'all get off and I'm a drive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I just had to adjust my pop shield, so I'm sorry if there's a little bit of turbulence at the beginning of this recording. Um, uh, you're fine. Okay, cool. Uh, I forgot to put it across and I was like, oh, shoot, yeah. <laughs> Probably should do that. Yeah, that, that, that might be a little helpful. Yeah, Who knows? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> But... I'm glad that the vacation went well, though. I'm glad you had a good time, even though you were babysitting a bunch of drunk old farts. <laughs> old farts? I was I was one of the oldest ones there, surprisingly. Really? Wow. Uh, actually, I was kind of in the middle, but yeah. still, like, me being one of the oldest, I was, I was shocked. Well, I get to call you an old fart anyway, because you're older than me, so. Hey, you're not supposed to talk to your senpai that way. <laughs> Too late, just did. <laughs> <laughs> But on the flip side, though, while we were down there, uh, we did go to the beach. And that was fun. I got a fish familiar. Oh? Yeah. So we swim out to the, well, I say swam out. I didn't have to swim on any of it because me being 6'4", the water never got deep enough for me to have to swim. <laughs> but so we went out to the second sandbar. And while I was out there, there's a fish that just kept circling me the whole time and would not leave me alone. Mm-hmm. So I named him Mark. He was cool. He followed me back inland. But, you know, once I was getting ready to get out of the water, he, of course, didn't follow me because he has some instincts of, you know, needing mm. to survive. So you lost him. You you lost your Mark. He'll be there eventually. Whenever I come back, he'll find me. So sad. Rip Mark. Yeah. Rip. Rip Mark. You will always be remembered as my one fish familiar. I am very appreciative of you. When I was little... I had a pet fish that we named Fish. I'm not surprised. <laughs> that sounds like the level of inventive genius ingenuity that you would come up with. Yeah, we named him Fish. I couldn't think of a um, a name for him. So <laughs> me and my brother were like arguing about it for a long time about what we should name our fish. Mm -hmm. um, to the point where my mum just started nicknaming him Fish. And then we gave up. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just fish and he was just he lived a long time um he was a uh, i don't actually know what kind of fish he was he wasn't i don't think he was a goldfish or maybe he was a type of goldfish because there are like a million different types of goldfish that i didn't know about mm -hmm. but he he lived for like years and then we emigrated and he couldn't come with us because he's a fish you can't bring fish internationally what 
No. No. Who would have ever thought that? Um, so so we gave him to like a family friend. And he lived with mm-hmm. them for like another few years after we emigrated. But he had a kink in his spine. I don't know if it was just because like we got him from a pet shop and they like he was kept in a bag or something. I don't know. And so when he was really young, he ended up having a birth defect. I don't know. He had a kink in his spine. Scoliosis. I had a fish with scoliosis named Fish. He was he was a good dude. He was a he was a cool fish. He he was a good dude. I've had a lot of weird pets. Mm-hmm. I don't think a fish is that weird, but I've had a lot of weird pets. I've had hamsters and guinea pigs, which I don't think are too strange. Uh, but then I've had fire belly toads, which I loved a lot. Sweeney yeah, that toad. one that one comes across as strange. Yeah, Sweeney Toad and Houdini Toad. <laughs> <laughs> Sweeney Toad was. It was the best nickname. It was the best name I've ever come up with for a pet, and I'm never gonna top it. Yeah, uh, there's there's a funny story about them though. It's kind of sad, but it's funny. I may have told this on the podcast before. Um, it's one of my favorite stories to tell because it's ridiculous. But yeah, had two toads. They were brothers. They lived in the same tank, and you can't really like you can't touch firebelly toads because not only do they like breathe through their skin, but they are um, toxic. So like, shouldn't touch them. Um, mm-hmm. And also shouldn't touch them for their their safety as well, because you have like salty hands and they're freshwater toads and they breathe through the skin. So you know what I mean? Like it's not good on either side to touch them. So mm-hmm. they're like watching pets. You buy them and you watch them. <laughs> I had Sweetie and I had Houdini and Houdini had a gimpy foot. So that's how I was able to tell the difference between them is that his foot was deformed. I don't know. Something wrong with it. And And one day I go and check on their tank to feed them their crickets and Houdini isn't there. And I don't know if Houdini escaped, which is hilarious, or if Sweeney ate Houdini, which is also hilarious. So I couldn't be upset about the fact that I had lost one of my toads because it was so ironic that no matter what happened to him, he magically disappeared. And yeah, I I have no clue how. Worth it absolutely worth it it was so funny i I was sad because i missed my toad but like also (laughs) he was either eaten by sweetie toad or he magically uh escaped and that's hilarious as well because his name was houdini so either way that's the story of my magical toad i promise i didn't kiss him he didn't turn him into a prince (laughs) worth it we had really good pizza while we were on vacation did you what's your favorite kind of pizza Pepperoni, sausage, extra cheese. Oh, you're a meat boy. But no matter what kind of pizza I get, I have to get light sauce. Really? Because pizza sauce is too acidic for me. Okay. So if there's a normal amount of sauce, like I'll end up vomiting stomach acid. Oh, that's no fun. Yeah, not a fan. Yeah. I'm assuming you like veggies. <laughs> yeah. My favorite <laughs> uh, is actually a taco pizza. Okay. So it's a pizza with sour cream and the salsa instead of marinara sauce. Ah. And then you put lettuce and tomatoes and onions and chicken or beef if you have it, but I'm a veg, so I don't. And then you put lettuce and cheese and yeah it's just like a taco broken out onto a pizza it's freaking good dude and everyone i've ever told about it has always said that sounds disgusting i don't think i've ever met someone who's been like yeah that sounds really good they've always said that sounds disgusting and to the point where on my it was my 16th or my 18th birthday i can't remember it was either my 16th or my 18th birthday i invited a bunch of people around i think it was my 18th 18th birthday i invited a bunch of people around 
and like five or so people and we were just gonna watch a movie horror movies and because my birthday's right near halloween so uh we're gonna watch a bunch of horror movies and eat pizza and just chill for the evening drink some beer Mm -hmm. that kind of thing and uh I ordered everyone a bunch of pizzas, and I ordered myself a chicken taco pizza, because at this time I wasn't a vegetarian. Mm-hmm. And I had one slice of my pizza, and then everyone was like, that actually kind of smells and looks pretty good. I was like, "It's you want to try some? You could try some. They tried it. I That was the only slice of my pizza I had that evening. I was like, it's my birthday, and you just ate my pizza. <laughs> Poor Blue. Yeah, because it's really good. And people always don't think that it looks good because lettuce on pizza. People are like, why do you want warm lettuce? Like, what the heck? Um, but it is genuinely really good. Well, that's what I was sitting here thinking. I was like, warm, soggy lettuce sounds disgusting. And I hate lettuce as it is. Like, that's mm-hmm. rabbit food for me. Oh, no. I just, I literally ate a bowl of lettuce today. <sighs> yeah. I just stuck some salsa on some lettuce and some chopped up cucumber. And I was like, that's a good enough salad. You know? Since we were talking about potentially planning a trip to Japan together in mm-hmm. the future, mm-hmm. if any of my food ever comes with salad, you're more than welcome to it. I will eat the salad. Although I have been told that in Japan, um, they don't have a lot of fresh salads and stuff that tends to be served in restaurants. Like mm. you tend to, to not get a lot of fresh stuff because of just the fact that of the like the way that their their food is, their their cuisine. So, mm. well, in that case, let's just go to all the Seven Elevens. All of the Seven Elevens. All of them. No, I genuinely want to. I want to try. I want to go to the Seven Eleven so bad. I want to go to the Combinis and just explore all of the different variants that they have. So two things I want to do. I want to make a meal out of the Seven Elevens, and I want to make a meal out of vending machines. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they do like um, yakisoba and stuff in the in the vending machines. Yeah, I've mm-hmm. seen that. I want to try one of their hot coffees in a can because that confuses me as to how it doesn't burn your hands. Well, not only that, but the fact that they have hot drinks in vending machines, mm. that blows my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, so, I'm so curious as to the temperature of those hot coffees in cans, though, because I feel it's metal. It's a can. Like, if it's hot, like, doesn't that burn your hand? But people just pick them up and drink them, so it must be, like, warm. But then is it lukewarm and not hot enough for a coffee? Like, is, are you confused by this as well, or is it just me? I feel like it would probably be warm coffee, but not hot coffee. But warm coffee is gross. Well, warm coffee would be better than lukewarm coffee, like room temperature coffee, like hard now. That's true. Why is it that coffee is only good hot or freezing and is not good anywhere in between? Because coffee's kind of shit whenever you sit down and think about it. Like if it's not really <laughs> hot or just like iced down, it's kind of yeah. shit. Would you like some bean juice? You like beans? You like beans? <laughs> I don't know why that sounds so bad. You like beans? <laughs> Anybody want a bean? It's like uh, some sketchy dude around the back of a, a club or something wearing like a uh, trench coat opens up the trench coat and just got like beans. <laughs> <laughs> you made me think of old Greg. You like Bayless? I got Bayless in a shoe. <laughs> That's stupid. So anyway, now that we're back from that rabbit hole. Yeah, that was a rabbit hole and a half. Yeah, I don't I don't ever want to discuss what we discussed there again. Anyway. <laughs> back to your regularly scheduled programming. Now over to blue with the weather. Uh it is currently cold in Canada. Shock. Okay, now over to We don't have anybody else on this to throw to uh, for now sports, over to Brad so for the news. 
So listen, um... <laughs> uh, okay, now over to Arnold for the news. <laughs> so listen, this is going to be my... I don't know what to call this. Is it a segment? Is it a... I don't know. All I know is I need to stop that because those peaks are fucking atrocious. Ooh, fun. Love peaks. Arnold, like, I have my gain turned all the way down and Arnold just peaks that shit. <laughs> well, I mean, with those muscles... It's expected. I mean, you're right. Look at those peaks. This is <laughs> hey, what you Arnold, get for working you, uh, out so hard. What? Hey, Arnold, could you uh, point me in the direction of the beach? I'm not sure where it is. No. <laughs> oh, okay, then. <laughs> I don't want to talk about the beach. I'm scared. That is a part of me that I don't want to li- relive. Oh, okay, then. <laughs> but no, the beach is over there. It's right down the road. You can't miss it. Okay, then. That's an obscure reference that I know you're definitely not going to get. I have no clue. Uh, if anybody knows that reference, feel free to let us know uh, if you got it, because I didn't. I, yeah. I feel like only my friends are going to get it, because there's an animated version of Dark Souls called Happy Souls. Okay. And so the two main characters save a bird guy. He's like, oh, thank you for saving me. I don't have anything with me, but if you meet me at my house, I've got boss weapons. Like, oh, where do you live? Right down the road. Can't miss it. And he just keeps repeating it over and over and over again. It's a great little animated bit. I'm going to have to send it to you just for context. Okay. Because anytime I get the chance to make that reference, I have to make it. Okay. (laughs) I'm so confused. What has this podcast turned into? I don't even know. I'm lost. Me too. News? News. We don't have a lot of news this week. I I don't have a lot to talk about. It's a quiet I feel like I've been slacking, but also there was honestly not a whole lot that I just found interesting enough to talk about. I was supposed to talk about this last week, but I forgot. However, mm-hmm. Funimation is going to be expanding into Mexico and then some South American countries. But I know that the anime community for Hispanics is actually extremely broad. Yeah, yeah. I heard that it's been um, expanding like crazy over the past few years, just like it has been in English-speaking communities. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, I, I've actually seen a lot of Spanish-speaking countries, and I suppose Portuguese as well, shout out to Brazil and Portugal, uh, have, uh, they've been expanding not just in the anime world, but also in, like, music and a lot of different other kinds of media to where they've been, like, like, there's some of the biggest K-pop stands as well, like, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of British folk music as well. I know Jake Bug is huge in South America and, and other different kind of, like, alternative singer-songwriter type artist as well. So it's super cool to see because I didn't really know about this except fairly recently. So it's awesome that Funimation is is expanding down to communities that are absolutely thriving with insane amounts of passion and support for the things that they love. Yeah, so were you paying attention to anything that was going on in the anime community whenever the Tournament of Power for Dragon Ball Super was going on? No. So for the last two episodes of the Tournament of Power, there Mm -hmm. were massive amounts of people that would gather in plazas and they would hold like a pay-per-view type event for the last two episodes. Mm -hmm. And Funimation and Crunchyroll were like heavily discouraging it because they're like, you're not like, we get it, it's massive, but you're not supposed to like hold gatherings like this, like it goes against their terms of service and everything else. Mm Mm-hmm. 
But the fact that those turnouts, like those turnouts were absolutely massive. Mm-hmm. So it's really awesome to see all that turning out like that. To just see how beloved a series like Dragon Ball is. Because I feel like Dragon Ball is a lot larger in places than English-speaking countries. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's super awesome. Like, I, it makes me wonder about whether or not anime is going to become one of the main mediums that is shown in cinemas from, like, now on. Because, obviously, like, regular movies are just declining at movie theaters. They're not doing well. All their statistics have been declining for a while because it's so expensive to go and then with COVID and everything. But there's something special about going to see anime. And I feel like people would go for, like, if you were like, oh, yeah, we're going to show the very first episode of a new season or the very last episode of a season or something, the episode finale, like we're going to do a whole, because you could, like, I mean, The Sound of Music's like four hours long and people still show that in cinema. So you could do like a whole 12 episode season, like a one core season at a movie theater, have an intermission Mm -hmm. in it and just like have a binge thing. I feel like that could be a huge thing in theaters because anime communities, we're we're like hardcore like we we're one of those communities that we are very intense about how we feel about stuff and we love to go and support things that we enjoy and because of that i feel like you have to really i feel like cinemas they've got to hit on these fandoms you know they've got to hit on these Mm -hmm. fandoms and because i mean i mean just look at the turnouts to like justin bieber's documentary or whatever like fandoms go hard so Mm Movie theaters should embrace that, and if they're if they're still trying to make money, that's what I'd do. And then it, they can end up having relationships with like Funimation and Crunchyroll and stuff, um, so that people don't end up doing those mass gatherings to watch final shows, and then the creators don't end up getting the money, and the websites don't end up getting the money because if like Crunchyroll got into a contract with Cineplex and was like, "Hey, wanna?" show this next like they don't have to do it with films you could do it with one core one core animes you could probably even do it with two core animes i know some crazy people (laughs) not me (laughs) not you (laughs) that watch an entire two core anime in one day like it's possible well here's my biggest complaint like Mm -hmm. whenever anime films are shown in theaters Mm -hmm. you obviously have to pay a good amount of money to get those licenses to be able to show those films Mm -hmm. hold more fucking showings yeah Like, I wasn't able to go see the My Hero movie in theaters because it fucking sold out. Yeah. And they only had one fucking showing for it. And My Hero is absolutely massive. And it Mm -hmm. sold out weeks in advance. Yeah. So, now, if your license is only cost enough to do that one showing, then that's fine. I get it. But I guarantee you it's not. Mm Mm-hmm. So, why? What's... The purpose. Obviously, I realize that you're having to get rid of one screening or one screen to be able to show that film. However, how busy are you actually going to be on a fucking weeknight? Yeah, well, and I mean, if if, uh, you have to get rid of a screen to show the film, but if the film's booking all the seats and whatever other film that you're showing that's been up there for three weeks is still not, like, is is not full, why the heck Mm -hmm. would you not? You'd open the one that's sold out. Exactly, and most anime films are shown during the week as it is. Yeah, so which I is don't... stupid because people have to work. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, if you give people enough time, most people can get off. So I can kind of get it, and for those that can't, that's another reason to show more screenings. Yeah. 
But I know typically I will get emails from Fathom mm-hmm. to where they let me know whenever anime films are actually being shown in theaters. So I have the ability to request off and that's, you know, I get looked at weirdly because I'll request off months in advance for anime films. But do I care? No. Now, do I get looked at funny whenever I request off for something like I want to eat your pancreas? Yes. But again, do I care? No. Yeah, uh, I want to eat your pancreas as a name. Um, <laughs> doesn't uh, bode well for the content. But are you going to cry whenever I make you watch it next yes, year? Yes, I already know yes, I will. I am I'm excited. You should stop letting me play in the schedule. Yeah, like I, I know I'm going to like sob and die and cry. But you know, well, you know, I absolutely have put in a few other schedules that uh next month next month yeah that are that are gonna manipulate you (laughs) no they're just gonna be like more my thing and then december is kind of a couple of things that have been requested and then us trying to figure out where we stand on everything for the entire year (sighs) we've covered a lot this year and we still have more to cover we have so much more and yeah we have done so much as well i can't believe we've watched an entire anime Every week. For how many weeks now? This is episode 32. For 32 weeks in a row, not missing one, we've watched an entire anime. And we, whenever we started this, intending on doing maybe one episode a month. Yeah. And then we were like, well, you know, we're kind of on a roll right now and we're enjoying it. So we'll do it more frequently to start up with and then we can settle down when we go. And we're just like, nah, full steam ahead, boy. <laughs> it's like we'll see if we can actually keep up the let's see if we can keep up the one a week pace but nah we can we can chill out and go to like one every two weeks or something no it didn't happen no no we committed uh, we committed mm-hmm. anyway is that all you uh mm, do we have any more news yes so the uh-huh. Violet Evergarden film has officially grossed 1.1 billion yen after being in the box office for three weeks in Japan. Nice. I'm still mad at Violet Evergarden. Oh, I realize. However, the fact that they've grossed that much money in three weeks, That's I figured it had to go in the news. Yeah, it definitely is impressive. Especially considering the fact that, like, right now, it's really hard f- to get people to go and do stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, so yeah, that's really, imp- those, those figures are really impressive. Yeah, that's extremely impressive. And I'm I am still probably going to watch the movie when it comes out on, like, Crunchy or whatever. Because I'm curious course, because about we'll it. because we'll have to cover it. Like, there's no it. way around that. Mm-hmm. I'm curious about it, but I'm still mad. I'm not going to get yes. over that. And I freaking made me fall in love with typewriters, and now I'm conflicted about typewriters because I have a, a half positive, half negative association with them. And I'm like, Ugh. and you know what? Okay. One thing that's been bugging me is that I've been looking around at all of these Halloween decorations in, like, Michaels and Walmart and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I found, like, multiple really cool antique-looking typewriters. I don't know what it is, but this year there's, like, typewriters everywhere. Uh, but they all have, like, skeleton hands on them or something. And I'm like, or, like, the page is, like, there's something written on the page and it's, like, blood or something, you know? And I'm like, can't you just have, like, a really old antique-looking typewriter ornament? Because I would just have that. Like, does it need That's to have a skeleton hand on it? just going to be your desk Like, you're just going to have it posted yeah. back for your for your art streams. That's yeah. what I'm going for. Yeah. I'll just have a typewriter. Like, it, because nobody can read my handwriting, so I genuinely feel like I need a typewriter. Because 
Nobody can read my hand. I know I could just like print stuff, but do you know how expensive ink is? Expensive. Yeah. Oh, so speaking of art, somebody's now a little famous. <laughs> uh? You you know what I mean. You having your painting up in a restaurant. Yeah. Uh, Didn't think you... I was going to bring that up. Well, no, I had to because you, you're like, that's fucking awesome. Like, Thank congratulations. You. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> I have a painting <laughs> in a restaurant now. Um, it's, that's pretty cool. That is, that's really awesome. Like, seriously, your, your art style in general has progressed and gotten so much better in the short time that you've been getting back into it. But especially that painting. Holy shit. That's Aww. fucking awesome. Thank you. Thank you. I do appreciate that. That's really sweet of you. Yeah, I did a, a giant painting of a sunset with a silhouette of a tree and a panther jaguar jaguar not a panther don't know why i said it's because i did it i did a different one of a panther but this one's a jaguar or jaguar Jaguar. (laughs) you have to say that as becky a jaguar jag jag that's how you say it right jaguar Mm -hmm. jaguar Mm -hmm. jaguar is that how you say the car as well a jaguar car yes weird so Mm -hmm. still haven't gotten my becky stardew valley stream i know Bet you thought I forgot. I, I I certainly did. I forgot. <laughs> Bet you thought I forgot, but I didn't. Actually, I had. But then Becky came out, and then my brain clicked. I was like, Becky, Stardew Valley. Wait a second. <laughs> yeah, we played Stardew Valley in a hot minute. It really has been a hot minute. Apparently, they're adding more shit. Ooh. I always love when they do updates. Uh, but apparently, they had like one big massive one here recently. Nice. Or at least that's what Kelly was telling me. She might have been lying. I don't know. Kelly's always lying. A liar. A liar. <laughs> There's something else. That's, my my brain is all over the place today. I still haven't recovered from this past weekend. Can you tell? I can. I, I'm just exhausted. So, you know, I'm, I'm Same. <laughs> uh, Tilly yesterday is just big mood right now for yeah. both of us. You're the sleepy pup. Uh, big mood. I could go for sleep. Me too. Do we have any more news? Nope, that's it. That's all news. All of the news? That wasn't very much news. I know you said that wasn't very much news, but it really wasn't very much news. Told you. Told you. Okie dokie. So I guess we've been chatting for a while, so let's hop right into um, The Promised Neverland. Brad. By the way, that's what we're covering this week. Oh yeah. <laughs> See, I did it again. I forgot to be like, at the very beginning of the episode. Hey, by the way. <laughs> It's because we don't have any fucking rhyme or reason to this. We're just like, oh, hey, this is... Because I feel like if we tried to, like, sit down and script this shit out, it wouldn't be as much fun. No, we've kind of got our routine, and it's hard to break out of it now. We have a routine? Yeah, we have a routine. I introduce it. We talk. Then we do news. Then we do background. Then we do anime. Then we end. I just figured it was talk, 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 talk. We have a routine. It's just, and it, it's just freeform. So a freeform routine. Promise Neverland. Brad, can you tell me a little bit about it? I don't, I don't really know much about the background information. And you, I think, may just so happen to have a little bit of information in front of you right now. Um, so yeah, I feel like telling me about like who made it and shit. I was, I was hoping for more banter. 
I was, I'm trying to pull it up right now. I wasn't uh, ready. Okay. Uh, I can uh, provide Never mind. I got it. Uh, I'm ready. Oh, you're okay. ready? Oh, okay. Yeah. Fine. Um, yeah, cue yeah, that again. Okay. Hey, Brad. Totally uh, not scrambling. No, no, we're fine. We're fine. Everything's fine. Okay. <gasps> uh, so, hey, Brad. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, Promise Neverland, do you feel like uh, possibly telling me something about it if you have some information pres- uh, presented in front of you? Because uh, I'm kind of interested to know a little bit about it behind the scenes. Who made it and shit? Has anyone told you that you have a promising career as an auctioneer? <laughs> no one has ever told me that, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm still there singing on that smooth jazz. Welcome back to Radio 101 Point Anime. Today we're going to be listening to some smooth jazz. Brad is going to be talking to us about the behind the scenes of The Promised Neverland while we listen to that jazz. What do I feel like I just need to talk in a really, like, smooth jazz kind of tone because that's just how this works now so mm, no <laughs> <laughs> i was trying to figure out how to set my vocal cords to do it and it was like that's not happening bud all you gotta do is just picture some louis armstrong some nina simone just hear that saxophone in your headphones and all of a sudden smooth jazz just comes right to you do you like jazz? Do you like jazz? <laughs> so, The Promised Neverland is a dark fantasy, science fiction, and thriller genre anime. Mm-hmm. It is also part of our deep dive into Spooky Month. Mm-hmm. Because who doesn't love Spooky Month? Blue, after next Thursday. That's who's not going to enjoy Spooky <laughs> Month. <laughs> so spook. So much spook. The Promised Neverland was initially a manga that was published in the weekly Shonen Jump. It's a shonen. Don't know if you would have guessed. I certainly wouldn't have. No, I don't think I could have, you know, connected the two there. But then again, I also would have guessed that Food Wars was a shonen either. However, I digress. <laughs> So, the manga is actually officially finished. It ran from August 1st of 2016 until June 15th of 2020 for a total of 20 volumes. Wow, okay, so that's pretty recent. It is. I feel like I remember us covering the fact that it ended on the podcast as news. Maybe way I back pay when. attention to you. <sighs> you know, <laughs> I get it. I do. I wouldn't pay attention to me either. Aww, what did I say about no self-deprecating? Dep- dep- uh-huh, that's the one. <laughs> I'm broken. Anyway. Nope. Yeah, okay, yeah. The anime ran from... So the anime is still ongoing with episode one premiering on January 11th of last year with the second season actually supposed to be starting in January of 2021. I'm really excited for the second season after watching the first season. I figured you would be. I have yet to let you down with most of my suggestions. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so the studio that made... The Promised Neverland, we have spoken about before. Cloverworks. It is the same studio that made Darling in the Frogs, the Persona 5 anime, and Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. Ah, that makes sense. On the note of Bunny Girl Senpai, we really need to cover the film. We do need to cover the film. Because the film actually came out on DVD two weeks ago, and it has been highly requested by a friend of mine who, every time we speak, she will not leave me the fuck alone. (laughs) 
about covering it. <laughs> you gotta cover it. You gotta cover it. And she's like, Brad, you need to watch it. Like, I swear, one of these nights while we're talking on Discord, you're gonna fucking watch it. Like, I'm gonna make you watch it. I'm gonna screen share it. And you're gonna watch it. And I'm like, look, I'm not watching it until Blue and I cover it. Because if I'm gonna cry like a little bitch, it has to at least be recorded for the podcast. <laughs> Because if I had to watch it a second time for the podcast, I'm probably not going to cry as much like a little bitch. Yeah, and we want maximum bitching here. Exactly. Look, if I'm going to be a big old bubble-blowing baby bitch, it has to be for the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) A big old what? Bubble-blowing baby bitch. (laughs) What? Okay. Have you never heard the phrase bubble-blowing baby? No, I haven't. I have not. (laughs) <laughs> Maybe that's just an uh, American thing. Yeah, I'm highly amused. That's great. But um, yeah, so I had to add bitch on the end because, you know, it fits. Yeah. And the series was directed by Mamoru Kanbei. Nice. Who has directed Card Captor Sakura. <laughs> that's the only thing out of the bunch that I recognize. But. Yeah, I'm sorry, so. I just yawned, and now when you're editing this, you're going to hear my yawn, and it's going to make you tired, so I'm sorry. It's going to be amplified and sent back to you. Great. Uh, I will welcome. go back and find your yawn from last week's episode and do the same. I've been yawning this whole time, so <laughs> don't worry about it. Is that all the background? I don't know, baby. So, there is also a live-action film for this that will be releasing on December 18th of 2020. But, according to sources, there's actually a live-action version of the show being made as well. Interesting. I I don't know how familiar you are with Enter the Spider-Verse. I heard of it. Not too familiar. It's apparently this really awesome animated Spider-Man film that came out earlier this year, last year, something like that. Mm -hmm. But... It's being directed, and the script's being written by the same director and scriptwriter for Into the Spider-Verse. Okay. So, as beloved as that film was, hopefully they can do a lot of good stuff with this, because they have phenomenal source material to work with. Yeah, I'm just curious about how they're going to do it, because the entire show is based around children under the age of 12, from, like, infants to 12-year-olds, and there's only very few adults. Which makes me curious as to how they're going to do it, because it's absolutely not for children. And, yeah, I don't I don't know. Do you think they, they might soften it and make it more for children? Or do you think that they might age up the characters? Or do you think they're going to try and, like, shield the actors from knowing what it is that they're actually doing? And then making it know. realistic. Because that makes me really curious as to how they're going to do, do it. Because yeah, I know, like, I... with, um, what was it? It was The Exorcist. The girl in The Exorcist, she she didn't know, like, anything that was going on about the film. She just knew that she was in a film. But she didn't know mm-hmm. what she was playing or, like, they kept it all very secret away from her. And it was only when she got mm-hmm. older that she realized the kind of level of horror that she was in. And mm-hmm. although this isn't... Too bad, because a lot of it is planning and talking and that kind of stuff. There are definitely parts of it that are not appropriate for children. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have absolutely no clue how they plan on doing it, how they plan on going about it. Mm. If they soften it, I think that would be a disgrace to the show itself. Mm-hmm. Because this show is not meant for kids by mm-hmm. any sh- means whatsoever. Mm-hmm. So... If they soften it, I feel like it would be doing a disservice to the show. 
Now, if they do decide to take the Exorcist route, that's fine. Because I think, honestly, outside of a couple parts, they can get away with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. The marketing so, will be interesting if they do use children of the same age of the written characters. Because mm-hmm. I feel like when people see children in marketing, they assume it's for children, you know? So, like, movie posters and stuff, they'd have to do them in a way that made it so that you definitely knew that it wasn't for children, you know? Because when you mm-hmm. see child actors, you think for children. Or at least, like, family. Well, I think if they at least designed the poster and everything similar to how the stuff is designed for the manga, mm-hmm. I feel like they could definitely give off those vibes. Also, you rated R. Mm-hmm. So that way... People are immediately discouraged. How would you but feel also, if they did age it up? So it's like instead of them being maximum age 12, they made it maximum age 16 or something and then used older actors. As long as they were still not 18 to where the story could still be extremely similar, yeah, then I would be fine with that. Mm-hmm. But it could not reach any higher than like, say, 16. Yeah. Like, 15 to 16 for Emma, Norman, and Ray. Yeah. And then, however they want to do the younger characters, that's fine and dandy. Because mm-hmm. I feel like this could be a 17A, as opposed to a rated R. Because, uh-huh. like, mm. I don't think any Harry Potter movie was rated R, and there was blood and gore and death. Yeah, I feel like, I think they rated 17A. those PG-13, like, from Order of the Phoenix on. Yeah. I feel no, like I feel like Promise Neverland. On. I feel like Promise Neverland. I don't feel like it gets to an R rating. I mean, I think probably the thing that maybe made it, like, if it would go to an R rating, would be the fact that it is surrounding children. Hmm. Yeah. Don't. But like, there's not an over, like, overly intense amount of gore. No, there's definitely not. There's some like really intense scenes. Yeah, there's a lot of amplification of stuff rather than. Mm. visualization but then the visualization that they do do like as far as horror animation and whatnot that's spot on Mm -hmm. like good on them for that but yeah i don't i don't know i'm intrigued to see how they do it for sure i'll Mm -hmm. at least watch a couple episodes to kind of see how it turns out yeah i haven't seen very much of live action adaptations of animation in general like of anime in general haven't seen very much. I have so, seen a decent bit. Mm-hmm. It's all been shit. Yeah, uh, I've heard only bad things. <laughs> yeah, so, we don't... For one, we never talk about the live-action Death Note. And two, I told you about me watching the final episode or the final scene from Your, Your Light, Light April. April. Yeah. Yeah. We, I'm not going down that rabbit hole again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, anyway, I'm very curious as to about how they would do it, and the age ranges, and whether or not they would use child actors, because if they bump it up, then they can, like, they can say the characters are 15, 16, but they can use older actors, because older mm-hmm. actors play teenagers all the time. But you can't really have a 20-year-old pretend to be 12, mm-hmm. you know? I don't know. I, it makes me curious as to how they're going to do it, just from a marketing standpoint, because I really don't know how they would promote the movie with it being 12-year-olds. Um Same. But yeah, it makes me curious. But okay, so background, background, overview. That's what I'm trying to say. Overview of the anime. Because if you don't know what we're talking about, you're probably thoroughly confused right now. The Promised Neverland is a, a 
It's about a group of young children that are raised together in an orphanage with their caretaker mama. This group of children age ages from very, very young, like infant, to um, the age of 12. And periodically, uh, about every two months, somebody comes and fosters one of the kids and the kids off they go. However, because this is a thriller, what do you call it? A thriller? Thriller, thriller, sci-fi, dark fantasy. Yeah. That is not all there is to it. Um, So there are... That's about all we can say. There's not a lot that we can talk about plot going forward without spoiling anything because the show is very much centered around events that happen in the first episode. Exactly. So I guess what I'll say is um, everything is not as it seems. Which is, I think, pretty obvious, because if that was all it was, then it would be a very happy life. And the kids have some specific things that, some specific characteristics that make them special. And that's why they're put where they are. And they are needed for a certain purpose. And because of all of the elements that are at play, they are forced to grow up faster than a lot of other kids. And it's actually set in 2015, so five years ago. Mm -hmm. But the world is very different to our 2015. Yes. And they're in a cute little cottage surrounded by forest, and they play tag. And that's the end. (laughs) Good enough. Yeah. Um, So yeah, but it's based around these three, uh, main three children are um, Emma, Norman, and Ray. And they're best buds, they've been friends for a long time. And yeah, it's centered around mainly them and a few other children. And uh, and yeah, it's just it's just their their life, them growing up, them trying to figure out what they're doing with their specific circumstances that they're given. And the first episode is intense. So yeah, uh, you'll be hooked after the first episode. It's one of those ones that's going to catch you right off the bat. So I highly recommend that if you decide to watch The Promised Neverland, which I do recommend that you do, do you go and watch it. You give yourself the day or like a weekend because yeah don't stop watching it when you have work tomorrow because you're not gonna stop no it it will immediately hook you and there's kind of no letting go because if it tells you anything i messaged blue and i told her specifically hey after you watch the first episode let me know what you think because i want to i just wanted to hear thoughts on how the first episode ended Mm-hmm. And I never heard from her again. No, I watched the first episode and I was gone, mate. I didn't think <laughs> about that message. It was not happening. So um, how did your notes look after watching this? Because I'm curious how that ended up. I actually managed to write my notes after every single episode. And I'm kind of glad that I did. Because um, the show has a lot of times where you aren't necessarily getting scared by stuff. I wouldn't. It doesn't classify itself as a horror. And I agree that I don't think it is a horror. Um, but there are moments where you're definitely on edge. Mm-hmm. and uh, But a lot of moments where you are yourself calculating what's happening. Because of the way that they've set stuff up, you as a viewer, like the characters in the show, are trying to work stuff out. So it's actually really nice. It was really nice to be able to write notes after each episode because I was able to reflect on what happened during the episode and like kind of try and piece things together for the puzzle myself as I was going and really like work at it. And I got quite a few things correct, which made me excited. Mm -hmm. Because the show is a game of chess the entire time, both for the viewer and the main characters as well. Exactly. Not just, interestingly enough, not just um, your protagonist with your antagonist, but also your protagonists with your, uh, your (laughs) protagonist, 
but also with uh, the between the group of friends, between the kids as well. They're playing chess with each other as well as chess with their enemies, um, which is super cool because you end up with like at least three, four different sides. Yeah, at least four, five. I would say five different players in this game of chess that are mm. all manipulate or trying to manipulate each other or keeping secrets from each other half truths and things like this that are messing with your brain as you go and so you're trying to figure Mm -hmm. out and they set up the show so well to be like there are moments where you're like ah this character is doing something and then uh and it's clearly them they're the person that's doing the thing and then you're like then you it's going and you're like well no because it's saying this is the character that's doing it you're then going well it's obviously not them then because they're trying to make me think that it's them so it's obviously not them so then you're like so then it must be this other person and then it turns out to be someone completely different um and like if the show is blatant about something it's lying to you yeah except sometimes because they do like to trip you up so right when you think that it's never going to be the obvious then it's the obvious you know? Mm-hmm. It's like it really is a game of chess. It hundred percent is, and it's awesome to watch it unfold mm-hmm. because your main characters are really geniuses. So you're having to try to watch geniuses outwit one another while also trying to outwit an extremely intelligent set of antagonists as well. Yeah, which is it's a really really fascinating show, and it's very very enjoyable to watch, and. Yeah, it, uh, it's uh, absolutely though, 100%. If you start watching this, please give yourself like a couple of days. Start watching it on Friday evening. So you have Saturday and Sunday. Um, or if you work during the week or whatever, make sure that you have some time to really watch this because I promise you, once you watch the first episode, you're not going to be able to stop. Um, and you're going to be thoroughly hooked and you're going to be miserable sitting at work, having watched like two episodes and having to go to work and then sitting there all day thinking about what's happening and then having to wait nine hours for your shift to be over so you can go home. Like, it's, uh, yeah, it's really, really good. So, yeah, so I highly, absolutely recommend that you give this, that you give it a watch. Yes, without a doubt. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to say, spoiler chicken hats on. Give you some time to put yours on. Is it nice and secure? I hope it is. Put the strap on because, you know, things are about to get crazy and you don't want it falling off. So, spoiler chicken hats on. And we're going to go to episode one. Yes. Yeah. 121045. A group of young children, three oldest uh, being, uh, a group of young children with the three oldest being 11 years old, are living in a secluded land in an orphanage. Each of the children has a tattoo brand on their necks, like numbers. And that's what the number of each episode, like the title of each episode is the number of one of the codes that is on one of their necks. And one day they take an exam. Just like normal students that are taking an exam. And except these are barcode exams, which are, was weird. But three, but the top three students, um, the three 11 year olds, actually get perfect scores. And they are known for being the best in the, the best that the orphanage has ever had. And not just the best that the orphanage has ever had, but like the fact that there's three of them all at once. The fact that they've always had perfect scores. Emma is our initial main character. Our main character kind of switches throughout the show uh, between the three of the trio but emma is who we're starting off with as our main character and then it kind of goes to norman a little bit later and ends up with ray being our final 
main character throughout the season. Emma is bubbly, she's full of energy, and she absolutely loves the orphanage and mama. She is physically the most capable. She is sporty and crazy and very strong, and mama is the woman who's watching over the group. Norman is super intelligent, and he loves to play with Emma. He is kind of the middle ground between Emma and Ray. Um, Norman is super intelligent, he is a genius level smart, and he loves to, like, play with the kids, but he's also the one that everyone's trying to beat. He's really good friends with both Emma and Ray. Ray is more introverted, spending a lot of time reading and alone while the other children play. He's apparently really a strategic genius, and Norman actually kind of has a level, like, has a level of respect for him for his level of strategy. Like, Ray says that Norman's smarter, Norman says that Ray's smarter, you know? Soon after the exam results come back, Connie, one of the youngest, six years old, gets fostered. So everyone gathers to say goodbye. They're super excited for the fact that she's going to a new home. Uh, However... Once uh, she passes the gate, which they're never allowed to go to, because that's how you get in and out of the secluded area and they're not allowed out. Very similar to um, 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 Darling Attack in the... Attack on Titan? To what, sorry? Attack on Titan? Yeah. Um... Or are you going to make a Darling in the Bronx comparison? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, it's, there's quite a few animes now that I'm thinking about it that has this whole group of young children secluded in an area where they can't leave set up. Mm-hmm. Aren't there? But yeah, anyways. They're in this secluded area. They can't leave. But there's this gate that they come in and out of to get to this area. And they decide that... Um, but when they, they see that Connie has left, they realize that she's left her favorite bunny behind. And they... So Norman and Emma and Ray see this bunny. And Ray's like, hey, Norman, Emma, you two are super physically fit. You should go run the bunny to Connie before she leaves and go to the gate. And so Norman and Emma run to the bait, run to the gate after her with the bunny. However, when they get there, uh, they get into the tunnel past the gate and they find this truck and they assume that Connie is going to be riding in the back of the truck to get out and that she's just like the, the area is empty. So they're just like, oh, OK, well, they must be in a room somewhere or waiting nearby or something. But they see this truck and they don't want to get caught because they're they would get in trouble if they went past the gate when they're not supposed to. So they're like, okay, we'll just put the bunny in the back of the truck. And then when she gets into the truck to ride out, then she can have the bunny and it'll be like a surprise. It's there. But when Emma opens the truck, there is Connie dead staring up at them. And this is like the beginning of where the psychological thriller elements come in. And so the kids are terrified. And then they hear noises. They hear people. So they hide underneath the truck because now they realize that Cody is is dead and they're freaking out. They're hiding underneath the truck. And then when they peek out to see who is who's there, not only do they see Mama talking about them as merchandise, as a farm, as livestock, they also see two demon-looking dudes with skull heads and vertical eyes and uh, and just as one of them is about to, like, get, catches their scent and is about to, to see them, the two of them manage to escape, but they leave the bunny behind and Mama finds it. And that is the first episode. So much happens in the first episode. Yeah, they set up a lot all mm. at once. Yeah. So, reactions, thoughts, feelings, vibes, what do you get? <laughs> Immediately hooked. Me too. That's it. Like, that's... It's just such a hook to where you don't even have time to process it. You're just already on to the next episode. Oh, yeah. 100%. 100%. 
Um, I think I started watching this on week four. Yeah. Because I remember when the show was coming out, I think I knew it was coming out, but I wasn't paying much attention to it at the time because something else was going on or something. I can't. It's 2019. <clears throat> I think I just moved into my apartment in Clayton, so I was still getting used to everything. Had a lot of shit going on. I was modding for you at the time, so I was just doing a lot of shit. Mm-hmm. And so... <clears throat> but it was... I just remember getting a text from Coda, and he's like, hey, I got the show. You need to watch it. I know you're busy. Just watch the first episode, and I promise you won't be disappointed. And I started binging it after that, and after I found out there's only four episodes, I was big upset. Because I was like, no, I gotta wait week to week for this shit. No, I, yeah, 100%. I'm so glad that I didn't have to wait week to week, because I would have been so impatient. I would have been so impatient. Well, I guess now you're going to have at least two shows you're going to have to watch week to week. I know, I know, I know. This is why I hate watching things week to week, because I want to binge it. I'm so, oh, God, I'm not good at this. I'm not good at it. January's not going to be a fun time for you. No, it's not. I'm going to be miserable the whole time. Um. (laughs) (laughs) At least you have two that you can look forward to, so you at least have a way to break it all up. That's true. That's true. And honestly, as busy as you and I are, I don't think you're going to have that much time to care. That's also true. Um... But yeah, so episode 2, 131045. Norman and Emma try to act normally as they start planning for their escape. They're just basically like, nah, fuck this, we're out. Like, I'm not doing this, we're getting out. So they start planning for their escape. Emma is adamant about escaping with everyone, even though it's going to be near impossible with like 37 children. And the vast majority of them being under the age of four. They venture through the forest during their free playtime because there's like the house, the forest, and then there's a fence and along the fence is the gate um, and then past the, the fence is more forest. And right now they don't know what's through the forest. But they go through the forest uh, during their free playtime and they step over where the fence is really short. It's just like shin high, knee high, and they're able to just step over it. However, they discover that beyond the next section of forest is a giant wall. It's several meters high, two meters thick. It's a chunky boy with no seams and nothing to grip up it. They try to act as normal as best as they can, even though they're shaking in their boots. And they end up putting together the fact, because like these kids are elite kids. This is something that um, you can't assume that these kids are going to act like normal kids throughout the circumstance because these are genius level kids and they end up figuring out this because they uh, put together the fact that the human brain is what tastes the best and because of that they were shipped out at the lowest test scores so the highest quality could age to the prime of 12 years old because basically they figured out that they they weren't being used for their meat because the biggest ones weren't like people weren't being shipped out based on size so they ended up having to figure out like why and then they were like okay well why are we going through all of these tests and exams and why are our scores so important they end up figuring out that like okay well i guess our brain is the most important part they want a nice healthy juicy thick (laughs) intelligent brain big brain a big brain uh six is the youngest that they could possibly get shipped out um so all of the them younger than six don't get shipped out but by the time you're six you're up for elimination and 12 as soon as somebody hits 12 they get shipped out as well. So 12 is like maximum age. And so throughout this, between 6 and 12, those six years of their life, they are tested regularly and the person with the lowest test scores gets sacrificed, basically. 
Ray, however, has been watching the duo, the two of them, Norman and Emma, sneak around and is uh, and acting strangely in front of Mama. Um, and they also, f- oh, they also find out that there's tracking devices and that Mama basically straight up asks them if they went to the gate that night. Ray follows them when they go, yeah, but Ray ends up following them when they go to the wall with tablecloths to start their rope and, and figure out their plans and stuff to try and get over the, over the wall. And they end up talking to Ray and trying to persuade, and, and Ray ends up basically like, hey, I know what's going on. <laughs> like, I know you've been acting strange, so fill me in. And he ends up trying to persuade Emma that she can't save everyone. However, uh, he ends up getting on board with the duo and they begin making plans. When they get back to the house, though, there's not just a new child, but there's also a new adult. How did you feel about the introduction of Sister uh, Chrome? Uh, I was like, ooh, chess game continues, but also don't care. Give me more. She was terrifying. Scariest character. It was also at this point that after I finished these first three or four episodes that I went digging for the manga because again mm-hmm. I was enthralled with this mm-hmm. and I am not happy with Sister Crone's portrayal in the anime versus the manga how come because in the manga she doesn't have that stupid fucking doll okay and also she's not as like insane okay. like, she has a lot more personality to her in the manga she's more she's a more like not necessarily well-developed character but she just has the ability to shine more i guess mm-hmm. you gain more of an emotional connection with her you do like she you get a little bit more backstory in the manga because you get her backstory later on in the show and there's just more to her like she's not just this insane manly brute as how she's built in the anime, like there's more to her than that. There's more layers. I so, actually kind of, uh, now that you're saying that, I do kind of wish that they had developed her character more in the anime. Because although mm-hmm. she is freaky, very freaky in the anime, her character is very one dimensional. And then later on in the show, they do kind of hit you with that, oh, but she cared all along thing. And. Mm-hmm. I think if they had built more of an emotional connection over time, you'd have had more feelings towards her. Yeah, because in the manga, it actually makes it seem like she legitimately cares about the kids. Yeah. Whereas in the show, like, all she cares about is catching Emma, Norman, and Ray and stabbing Isabella in the back. Yes. Yeah. And so if there's anything that just truly docks points about this show, it's Sister Crone's. Now, since we didn't talk about it at the beginning of the spoiler chicken hats, what did Mm -hmm. you think about the OP and ED of the show? Because I figured you would like the OP, but the ED is where I know I take a problem with it. And so I was curious about your opinions. Uh, OP I actually did enjoy. Uh, EP I have no recollection of. I skipped it so fast. <laughs> yeah, I immediately skipped the ED watching it this time, but the OP, I listened to it a couple times because if you're a fan of OPs, this is one for you because the animation of the OP, for one, is phenomenal. Like the lighting effects that it has is mm-hmm. so good as somebody who is big into shading and 
whatnot. It was just fan service for me, as far mm-hmm. as that's concerned. And then the music is a mix between like eighties jazz, techno, and J pop. Yeah, like, one thing all meshed that, together. Um, that intrigued me about the OP is um I felt like it was kind of muted, like the sound. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, intentionally. Um, and uh, it felt kind of like you were listening to it slightly muffled. I don't know. What do you think? I do feel like they muted the instrumental parts of it whenever the vocals were going. Yeah. But I don't know if how intentional that was. I don't know if it was more for the Japanese audience to where they were more heavily focused on the words. Mm-hmm. But then the solos were very like music heavily oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I just they definitely I just muted that. the music during the vocals. Mm-hmm. That that it sounded kind of muffled. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought the OP was was decent. I enjoyed it. E P E E D E P. It's a um, tiny album, anyway. <laughs> Uh, I just feel like the show is so, like, the vast majority of the episodes lend on, leave you on a cliffhanger. It's a very cliffhangery type show, which is why mm-hmm. you have to binge it. But uh, because the vast majority of the shows leave you on a cliffhanger, the ED is just so skippable. Mm-hmm. I always like, feel bad for EDs on cliffhanger it. episodes. Mm-hmm. Well, and then you got ReZero that doesn't give a fuck about its OPs or EDs. Yeah, just boot them them to the cab. But yeah, but I on feel the like... bright side, you can't skip something that's not there. Nah, it's true, you can't skip it if we don't put it in. Uh, <laughs> or if we just put dialogue and action over it and then you can barely hear it in the background. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I thought they were decent. I enjoyed them. But I don't think that they're gonna subtract or add to the, the overall score of the show. Um, Yeah. The OP is good. It's not great, so it doesn't add. But the ED docks a point for me as well. I I because I didn't listen to it like barely at all. Um, I I can't form a legitimate opinion on it because it was so skippable. So well, you you know how I am. Like no matter what the show is, I always have to listen to the OP and ED all the way through once. Yeah. Just to kind of get an idea of how I'm gonna feel about the show. Mm-hmm. And yeah, episode three. Episode three, eighteen ten forty five. The new sister is scary weird. She's weird. Her movements freak me out. I don't like the way she moves. But yeah, the plans are basically that they're to get out. They have two months before the next selection happens, so they've got to try and get out before then. However. With the tracking devices hidden somewhere on their bodies and the new sister, like, looking out for them, things are not going so well. The sister basically wants... The sister, though, she wants to become mama. So she is, like, doing everything she can to not just, like, catch the kids in their escape plan, which she's aware of because mama's aware of it. But also she's trying to, like, rat out mama, who hasn't disclosed the two children saw the head saw stuff from the headquarters um what they saw and she hasn't disclosed it so they're like sister is trying to catch out mama mama is trying to catch the kids mama's keeping a close eye on the sister the kids are keeping a close eye on everybody and trying to escape plus try to keep everything secret and do with their trauma it's a whole load of confusing stuff 
And yeah, and so there's some kind of special demon dude as well that's just referred to as him. And uh, he's the one who eats the highest quality children brains and otherwise he's going to get real hangry. He's got some kind of dietary restrictions. He's like, I only eat 12-year-old's brains. And so yeah, he's going to get hangry. So that's where their brains go. Sister ends up joining in on their game of tag one time and she's fucking weird. So basically they use tag and all these other games as like um, uh, training because everything for their whole life is development of their brain. They have to get the best brain that they possibly can. So playing tags, tag and stuff for them isn't just for fun purposes, it's also them for, for them training. Up until this point, it was kind of unconscious training. From this point out, it's kind of more conscious training. And Norman is the best at tag. He is like, everyone's like, we gotta beat Norman he's always catching us uh, but then sister is like hey I'm gonna join another game of tag and she is faster than Norman she's stronger than Norman she's working better than Norman and she ends up managing to catch every single kid except for Ray and Norman Emma only gets caught because she is protecting two of the youngest two of the little ones uh, but she manages to run away from mama while holding two children like she is 11 years old. She is carrying two, like, four-year-olds and sprinting and is still fast, as fast as sisters. So, yeah, like, these kids are next-level elite kids. But sister ends up getting really impressed by the perfect trio. But also by somebody else named Gilda. Zooms in on Gilda. Um, <laughs> this is where you start seeing them try to trick you as to who like how they're manipulating you as a viewer because the traitor they they find out that there's a traitor among the children but the way that the camera is set up and the way that the storyline is told you are immediately supposed to think that the traitor is Gilda did you think that the um <clears throat> that Gilda was the traitor no i called the traitor from the get go did you <clears throat> mhm interesting cuz i didn't call the traitor <laughs> but i did know that it wasn't Gilda yeah, I called it from the get-go. Nice. Okay. I, uh, yeah, so. Oh, yeah, they also find that the tracking device is behind the ear, but they can't destroy it yet because it may alert Mama. But Ray is on the case. Episode four is 29-10-45. The trio are doing everything that they can to catch the double a agent. Uh, they end up telling Gilda and Don, who are two of the other oldest children, and they suspect that the traitor is is one of them. They've kind of narrowed it down to, to them. And they so they decide that they're going to tell them the truth. They end up telling them that they're being human trafficked instead of killed, which is the truth. And and they end up telling them their plan. They tell them that they're going to try and escape. Um, they tell them that Connie is fine, is alive, but uh, has been human trafficked. So they need to get out so they can save everyone that's been trafficked from the bad people. And Don and Gilda believe them, but... Don's kind of a little bit suspicious. Um, and Gilda is acting sus as well. But what they decide to do then, what Norman decides to do, is he tells... Uh, Norman tells Ray that he's going to tell Don that the, there's a rope for them to climb over the wall under his bed. And he's going to tell Gilda that there's rope um, in the bathroom roof. And then that way, when he can go back and see which one is missing, he'll be able to catch out which one has been the spy to report to Mama, right? And also mm -hmm. he hasn't told them the whole truth, so it could mean that Mama then thinks that they misheard or missaw or, you know, like the, that they're not fully in on it, but they think that they are, you know? Mm -hmm. And Sister 
Krone is keeping a real close eye on Gilda, but she, um, when confronted, so basically what happened, I'm going to keep saying that. I need to stop saying that. Um, <laughs> one night, Gilda ends up going to uh, Sister's bedroom. And while she's in Sister's bedroom, uh, Sister is confronting her, being like, hey, you know, what's going on? What do you know? What's what's happening? And Gilda keeps a secret, lip sealed, doesn't say anything. Emma was outside the door and heard the whole conversation. So she knows that Gilda did not betray them to sister. When they go to check on the ropes, Dons is gone. After, cause Emma then tells the two of them. She, Emma then tells uh, Ray and, and Norman that she thinks that Gilda is clear because she kept the secret. Um, so then when they go back and they look at the ropes and Dons is gone, Norman then ends up concluding that Ray is in fact the traitor. And they also plan to escape on November the 8th, which is my birthday. So I was like, okay. You're going to escape on my birthday. That may be... What do you know? Yeah, I know. I, I saw that and they were like, okay, uh, so we have to escape in two weeks, in 10 days from now. That's going to be November the 8th. And I'm like, you're going to escape on my birthday? Don't you feel special? I feel special. Yeah. Funnily enough, November the 8th is a date that is used fairly frequently in films. And, like, media and stuff. Like, for when they want to have something big in the autumn. It's, a lot of the time, it's it's around November the 8th. Huh. Yeah, like, Detroit Becoming Human, the video game, is set on, like, the 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and 9th or something. Like, it's that very beginning week of November. Mm-hmm. Um, the beginning of the second week of November, the, that, like, time period, end of the first week, beginning of the second week of November, is used a lot in movies. I think it's because it's that time when the leaves are, like, perfectly autumnal. Mm-hmm. But it's not, like, Thanksgiving or Halloween. Yeah. Well, that's right after Halloween. Yeah. It's used a lot, funnily enough. So, but hmm. there you go. Fun fact for you. Maybe I just notice it more because it's my birthday. So I'm like, hey, it's my birthday. But, you know. Episode five! Uh, okay, so reactions, to though, to finding out that Ray was the traitor. Because, like, you suspected. So how do you feel when you were correct? Victory! Did you like him, or did you think that he was a villain? I liked Ray. Like, he has... Like, I could relate with this character, because I'm quiet and don't want to interject that much. Mm-hmm. So I like the character, but also he was being really suspicious. So that's kind of why I immediately suspected Don't him. Don't be suspicious. <laughs> Don't be suspicious. So whenever they finally, whenever Norman called him on it, I was like, knew it. Mm-hmm. I I went through a period of time where I was like, I don't know if he's a villain or a hero. Like I, he is a very much an anti-hero for a good portion of of the show because he has he's very. I think the thing about him is is that he, because he's so analytical, he mm. takes facts to the next level, but then he's so strong in his emotions that he kind of gets blinded by them at the same time. So mm. he makes decisions that are very emotional, but based on solely his analysis, but his analysis is skewed because of his heavy emotions. Mm. And, and because of that, he makes some controversial decisions and and kind of gets blinded by like he doesn't see other options because he's kind of got tunnel vision on what he sees uh, but it makes sense because of his his genius level brain and i feel like once you get like hyper focused on something it's hard to see elsewhere especially when you're blinded by your own emotions mm-hmm. especially as a child he is a wee babe ray reveals yes that he has been working for mama but not just for like the begin since they discovered he's been working for mama for years six years half of his life 
and that he has always known what they're there for. He explains that he has more information than they could have ever imagined because he's, and he's been running experiments um, on the tracking devices for years. He's like, I, I've been known, I've known about this. It has been known. He was also the one that set them up to go to the gate to find out the truth for themselves. And he says that he's not really with them, but he's also not really against them. And explains that the only thing in his mind is to get Emma and Norman out, just to get them to escape. And he will do absolutely anything in his power to make that happen. And and he's been covering their asses the whole time since they got back because, and that's why he didn't tell them because he was planning on telling them as soon as they came back from the gate, but because they left Bunny behind and they exposed themselves, he's been kind of covering their asses and, and, and saving them uh, the whole time, which is why he's been kind of like definitely been acting like a double agent and acting real sus. But he ends up agreeing to work with them and uh, to help them get out. So long as they ditch the other children, he's like, nah, not happening. You can't get out with the other children. You have to just try to escape yourself. But he's also been reporting to Mama this whole time about Sister as well. Um, talking to her about what Sister has been trying to do to manipulate the situation to try and catch Mama out so that she can become the Mama of the house. He ends up coming clean to Emma, and uh, who tells him that he's not alone anymore. So he shouldn't sacrifice anybody else because he was sacrificing people so he could experiment on their tracking devices. Like he has been really like not playing nice guy so that he can get his friends out. He's basically been playing God, like who lives and who dies to, to experiment. What a role. Mm. And they end up discovering that there's a secret room in the house where Mama makes her daily reports to headquarters. Don and Gilda go to look into the secret room, despite the others telling them that it's not worth it. And right as they're about to be discovered, the episode ends. The door is about to open. Episode ends. See what I mean about cliffhangers? Last time it cliffhangered on Norman going, you are the spy. And and Ray's staring at him, blink, blink. And episode ends. And this one ends on, the door is about to open. Episode ends. Rattle of the handle. And the last one was also a cliffhanger. The one before that as well, it was where, um, oh yeah, there's a traitor among the children was the one before. The one before that was there's a new adult in the house, introduction to sister. And even the first one where mama finds bunny, I would say it's a cliffhanger. Every single episode is left on a cliffhanger. Brilliant strategy to keep you watching. It, it worked. <laughs> I mean, it's a cheap trick, but it worked. Right. Uh, episode six, 31, 10, 45. Lucky it was just one of the children who saw them. By the way, uh, Phil is best boy. I have a theory. A game theory? No, a film theory. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll we'll get to that later. Mm, uh, my thought was, I thought I thought Phil was the spy. You see, I didn't, but I think Phil knows a lot more throughout all of this on. than he lets on. Well, because that's one thing. Okay, so f- <laughs> to fill you guys in, if you don't know. Or need to be reminded if it was a long time ago that you watched this show. Um, Phil is one of the little ones. He is under the age of five years old. He is a little four-year-old boy. But he has one of the highest scores on the test. And he is predicted to be like one of the next trio. Um, He is, yeah, they think that he's super intelligent. And he's supposed to be like up there um, in the future. And everyone in the house kind of knows that Phil is like going to be a big shot when he grows up. And he is always in the right place at the right time. Well, you see, that's what I'm thinking. That's why I think he's going to play a bigger part later on. Me too, because absolutely. Because I stopped reading the manga of where the show ended. Because mm-hmm. I didn't want to spoil anything. Because I got so hooked on the show with the animation style. Because it stays... 
really similar to the source material outside of Sister Chrome. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to see where Phil's character goes, but I think the little shit knows more than he's letting on. Yeah, me too. Which is why I thought that he was very a spy in the beginning. Accepting later on. Yeah, he uh, either he is like very similar to Ray and his circumstance where he where well, later on where Ray. I don't think. But like that is that so rare. Similar. Yeah, I th- I think that Phil, I think there's more to him that's going on as well. But mm. I like I don't know. Maybe he's just some like crazy level genius. Maybe we're dealing with another um uh um 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 Senku. Maybe. Maybe. That would be a really cool crossover. <laughs> so Senku was in a Snickers commercial here recently. Really? Uh-huh. Depetrifying people with Snickers. You're not you when you're hungry. <laughs> you're not you when you're made of stone. Snickers uh, <laughs> depetrifies. <laughs> uh, it's a petrifyingly good time. Yeah, no, my my thought was that Phil was a double agent because I thought nobody's going to suspect a four year old. But also, this four year old is like genius. But yeah, thirty one ten forty five. Luckily, it was just one of the children that came into the room, and they end up finding the hidden door. Don is determined to get inside and to and to learn the truth because he really doesn't <coughs> trust. Bless you. Because he really doesn't trust the tree. Bless you. Thank you. Can I get through this sentence? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> because he just doesn't trust the trio. They steal the key from Mama. He's a good pickpocket, by the way. That I was impressed by that. Um, I was like, when have you had time to pickpocket people? Like, practice that. But yeah, they, they steal the key from Mama and go inside. And when they get inside, they see her trophy collection, like serial killer trophy collection of all of the the uh, children's favorite toys that have been fostered beforehand. And they end up seeing Connie's bunny there as well. They manage to get saved by the last minute because uh, she's about to come in and, and discover them. Uh, but they manage to get out and they've now discovered like more to the story. They now know that there's like more to it. The trio, uh, whilst they are like looking into the secret room, are in the library and they've discovered an author that has been writing his secret messages to the fort through books, um, trying to warn the children. Phil is the one who discovered this. Do you think Phil was implanted from the outside as a secret agent? That's a really good possibility. Because like if he was working for Mama, why would he tell them about the Morse card? It's definitely odd. Yeah. But so if he's like, if they're like, oh, we have a genius baby, let's let's send him in. I mean, why not? But if he is, I want to see that whole implanting process. Yeah, like how, because they tend to be babies when they're first put in. And he's only four, so it's not like he could have, <laughs> he could have like known before, like, is he like some lab experiment or something? Ah, like how he's because they're harvesting brains. So what if he's got a brain implanted from a child who used to live there? What if his brain isn't his brain? Now I think you're trying to get too big brain. <laughs> I don't even have a brain, so you know I'm just jealous. Well, I mean, at least Prickles is keeping guard. That's true. But yeah, I feel I don't know. Feel I feel like there's something more going on there. But yeah, so they end up finding that there's this Morse code thing. So basically, like, the stickers on the front of the book, there's a circle with the logo that's like a, you know, like a stamp in the front of a book. And um, all on and all of the books done by this certain author, William, can't remember his last name, William, oh, um, Minerva, William Minerva, they have, like, the stamp in the front of the book. And when you look at the stamp, it's like there's a circle surrounding it. But of course, sometimes stamps have, like, 
they don't imprint properly. And so the circle isn't always the same every single time. But if you look at the circle, sometimes it's dot dot dash dot 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 dot, you know? Um, and they figure out that that's Morse code and it's telling them in the cover of each book is a certain word. And there's words like farm, secret, doubt, and, and words like that throughout all of the different books. And so then they realize that now not only do they have, because they, they figured out that they need to figure out how to escape, then they've got to figure out how to survive in the outside world. And they've got to find more humans and, and like they've, like it's more than just them getting out of the house, right? They're climbing over the wall. Mm-hmm. And now they've got like this person that they can go and find. And although they don't really reference this throughout the rest of the season, I think it's definitely going to be a key element for next season, right? Yes. Because, yeah, they only really talk about it once and then don't really bring it up for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Phil discovered it and told them about it. Don and Gilda end up confronting the trio, though, because now they've found the truth from discovering all of the trophies. They're like, hey, so what's like what's actually going on here? What's, the, what's with this human trafficking thing? Because, like, we want to know. And so they end up, the trio end up, like, finally confessing. And they're like, no, like, we saw her get killed. Like, it's, there is, they're, they're dead. Mm-hmm. Ray tells Mama that they are planning to poison her. So she tells, and she tells him that the next shipment has been cancelled. So he has, he has to his 12th birthday. So they think that the next shipment is going to happen in November. But she says, no, the next shipment's been cancelled. You've got until January, which is his 12th birthday. So that's going to be his shipment. And uh, he, his deal with her was that he would get to live. So they they now have more time than they thought. They thought they had two months, but now they, they think they have a lot more time. Sister ends up finding the group outside and tells them she knows what they've been up to. And she wants to strike a deal. And that is the end of my notebook. So I have to switch to my new notebook. What? No. What? I know. I'm on a new notebook. I finally finished it. So now my notebook says, things that make me smile. Fries, friends, Fridays, all of the above. And all of the above is checked because I'm a basic bitch and I have a basic bitch notebook. Well, I mean, on the flip side, though, we never thought we would be getting to using notebooks anyway. Let no. alone using a whole notebook. Yeah, this is a, that was actually the second notebook I wrote in for the podcast because the first notebook I wrote in for the podcast back in the day um, was just my random notes and shit notebook. You know, where you doodle and you write random things down? Because I wasn't mm. expecting all of this. So I just started writing down in my random notes and shit notebook. And then eventually I was like, okay, this is becoming... The, ma- the majority of my notebook so i'm gonna designate an entire notebook to it and and that's that's what i've just gone through the first one i actually started in this notebook was only totoro so that wasn't too far away nope it was what one two three four five six seven eight nine ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen fifteen sixteen ish episodes ago depending on doubles not too far away episode seven oh one eleven forty five the group strike a deal with sister. Basically, she wants to become mama, so she's going to do anything that she can do to be able to be mama. And that means helping them escape because that's going to completely destroy the current mama's credit and she's not going to get blamed for it because she's just the assistant. So it should be a 
she'll get to take over mama's position and everyone's happy they get the kids get to escape and sister becomes mama sister also reveals that she was once one of the children she has got the tattoo on her neck to show it and she also has a large scar on her chest where they implanted a device that would kill her if she leaves the area so now we know that mama and sister and any of the others with the tattoos that are like acting in the mama role and um, wearing the uniform if they leave the arenas their designated areas they will be auto killed like pacemaker shut off kind of electro shock throughout the heart body killed nano machines yeah Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh she says that the girls when they make it to 12 if they have the top scores and mama's recommendation they get to choose between death and becoming a mama and mamas are not only just mamas in the sense that they uh look after the children in the um, arenas because now they find out that there's also multiple of them like multiple farms they also are the birthers of the children so yeah both her and mama have birthed one of the farm children which is why only only the the girls get the option ray receives a camera a polaroid camera from mama as his final reward because he has been getting rewards for reporting to her all the secret information for the past six years now he has all that he needs to make a device to, devam- to disarm the trackers um, in their ears. Norman and Emma meet with sister late at night and she tells them that she's never been out to the outside world. But she says that she's seen that there are humans out there that live alongside the demons. So it's just them that are like on a lower level and get farmed. She discovers that they know about the trackers and she wants evidence to be able to report to the headquarters about Mama. So she needs to find um, what they've been doing to try and disarm the trackers to be able to give it to headquarters to report on Mama so that she can upgrade her position. She also tells them of him, um, the dude who eats the brains, and says she'll explain more the next time that they meet. Sister goes through Ray's things and finds evidence that and uh, finds evidence and finds a piece of paper that he purposefully left behind because he has like this secret thing under his floorboards where he kept the tracking the the device to disable the tracking device but when she goes to look in that hole that that's no longer there and in its place is this piece of paper but when sister goes back to her room to celebrate mama ends up knocking on her door delivers an envelope containing an unfortunate message from headquarters and then wishes her goodbye and that's the end of episode seven what did you think the message was was from from headquarters when mama gave her the the letter and said uh, sayonara you gonna die you gonna die that was my first thought as well uh was oh shoot like yeah yeah that's a that's that's a death sentence right there. Mm-hmm. I want to know what Ray put on that note because we never know. You never find out what it said. I don't remember if it's in the manga or not. Yeah, you never end up finding out what it said in the in the anime. I think you could ex- assume because it's it's evidence in the sense that it um, implicates her, but it's not evidence in the sense that it is like without a doubt. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. enough for her to show grandma but it's not enough for her to be confident. Yeah. So I want to know what the note said, but we will never know. T- <laughs> um. Boo. <laughs> Letters continue. Bigger boo. <laughs> what, you don't want to be enveloped in my puns? Enveloped in... God damn it. That one didn't get your stamp of approval? Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I love puns, they're great. You need to stop pending this carrying on. 
Okay, that one was kind of shit. My bad. <laughs> no. Uh, bad puns are the best puns. <laughs> you write. <laughs> <laughs> I do write in notebooks. <laughs> must kill self. <laughs> uh, Tacos. Tacos, episode 8. Two o two eleven forty five zero two zero two. Uh, what's she doing here? What you doing here? Um, she's looking for her darling. Darling, disaster, darling. In that mode. Uh, sister has been promoted to mama of unit four. That's what the letter says. So she's got a boot and she's going to leave that very evening. So she packs her belongings and goes through the gate with the note that she found. Once there, she meets with grandma who tells her that the note means nothing because it's all under control. And then mama and her have been working together all along. Sister is fed to a demon and her last wish is for the children to escape. In this moment where she's about to die, you end up seeing a flashback of all of her life, her training, her growing up in the um, unit in the farm, and uh, her then going through all the training and doing everything she could to survive. And she also, like one of the other humans, it's like as a doctor in, in the for training facility that wasn't, you know, sketch, like wasn't one of the farm kids, dropped a pen on the ground and she picked it up. And I don't know if that's going to be important for the future, but later on, the kids end up getting this pen. Um, Emma ends up getting this pen and she keeps it when they escape. So I don't know if that's going to be important for season two or not, but I just noticed that they were they were kept referring back to this pen. So I thought it might be noteworthy. It might be nothing, but like also they kept showing it. So dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. do you think the pen will be important in the future or not? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, the show's not going to set something up like that and not build on it. Yeah, yeah. That'd be like ReZero doing something like that. Like, it's not gonna... Anime isn't one of those mediums of empty plot holes. Yeah, well, like, it was a... It's a very unique pen. Like, they spent time designing it. So I was like... And they kept referring back to it multiple times. So I feel like they're gonna run into that doctor or whatever who dropped the pen. And he's gonna recognize it because it's a unique pen. Uh... I, I don't know, I feel like it's important. But yeah, so her last wish is for the children to end up escaping there and change, to be able to change their world, not just to escape, but she wants them to change the fucked up world. The children proceed with their plan to scout the wall and Ray is distracting Mama by telling her that they're going to switch out the chemicals that Norman was going to poison her with. But she traps him in Sister's room and tells him that he isn't needed anymore and that she's the one who got rid of Sister and that she's known that he's been a double agent all along and that she knows that the chemicals were a distraction and sucks to be him because the deal is done and um, she's going to go bring those children back and it sucks to be them because she's she's known this whole time. Um, so Ray is trapped in the room. They can't signal... signal Emma and Norman, who are at the wall trying to scout out to see what's past the wall, to climb on top of it so they can see. And uh, and Mama is swiftly heading in their direction. Emma and Roy feel like there is something wrong when they see Mama coming out of the building. So Roy manages to run back inside the, the building and hears um, Ray pounding on the door. And so he knocks down the door 
And they manage to run with Emma out into the, out to where the wall is. But Mama is already there. And Mama tells Emma and Norman that she loves them like they're her own children. And she just wants them to live a life of smiles until they die. She tells them basically, give up, relax, live a life of smiles, be happy while you're here. Then when you die, at least you've had 12 years of a good life. And they're like, now nah, fuck that. And so Norman goes to grab the bag with the rope in it so he can throw it over and they can escape. Emma runs to attack her so that they can try and distract her. But Mama just yeets her to the floor. And Emma is the most physical out of everyone and the strongest out of everyone. And Mama just disarms her very quickly and breaks her leg. And just as the others show up, um, she tells Norman to celebrate because it's his shipment day tomorrow, even though it's not, it, it, that's, it, that's not how it was supposed to be. They weren't supposed to get another one until January. The next one was supposed to be Ray and it's not even a shipment day, but they've bumped it up and it's him tomorrow. Surprise! Surprise! You're getting adopted. Uh-huh. How did you feel on that cliffhanger? Emma, no. No. I was like, uh, pe- people are about to really fucking die. Yeah, I, so at this point, maybe at the end of the next episode, kind of around this point, I was starting to think, are they, are they really going to kill off a main character? I mean, they just killed Sister. They killed Connie in the beginning, but like you weren't really, like you didn't know Connie really. But I was like, this is where you get to the point where you're like, okay, this is going to determine the show. If they kill off Norman, that determines how far they're going to go. If they don't kill off Norman then you're kind of in one of those moments where you, you know that the main three characters are safe, you know? Well, looking at it from that perspective, out of all three of the main characters, Norman is the most expendable. Agreed. Because he, out of the three, is, for one, the least, like, standout-ish. Appealing. Yeah. But also, it like, for Emma's growth as a character, it was needed. Yeah, I 100% agree. And for Ray's growth as well, because that's one thing that I noticed in the very beginning is that Ray and Norman were competing for who's the most intelligent character. Um, and mm-hmm. in any show, having like you don't normally have like two geniuses. So I felt like one of them needed something that was that would elevate them over the other one or differentiate from them from the other one. And they like they tried to pull the whole thing of like Ray's the most strategic, so he's the one that's gonna be like he's the one that's gonna do all the strategic planning, and he's the one that's gonna do all the behind the scenes stuff. And Norman's just really smart, but also really physical. Like Norman was too developed; he had no room for growth. Yeah. And uh, and Emma's super lovable and bubbly. Ray is super dark and mysterious. Norman was kind of one dimensional. Yeah. But I also yeah I was still like I don't know if they're gonna kill him off though because. Yeah, it really, like, when you get to this point, it's like, if they kill them off, changes the whole show, because then no character is guaranteed, right? But if they kept him, then you could safely say the main three characters were guaranteed for their safety throughout the rest of the show. Like, they're not going to kill him off in season two. I think Emma's really the only guarantee out of the bunch. Yeah, because I was because suspecting I that they would kill, the only, like... like, main character. Yeah. But I was, like, I was, like, suspecting that they were going to kill, like, Don or, um, Gilda or Phil because of the amount of screen time that he got. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the, the trio really set the tone. Anyway, 03-11-45. The group is horrified. So they begin to plan to have him escape that morning. They're like, the next morning, you are getting out. You're, we're not doing this. You're going to go. 
Um, even though he's given up. He's like, nah, I'm good. Like, you just do everything that you can to escape. And they're like, no, we're going to get you out. But he's like, but we're not ready. We don't have any plans set in place. And they're like, no, you're going to go. You're going to hide in the woods. In two months time, we're going to come find you with everybody else. And then we're all going to go. But you need to get out now. And he, so they can escape. But they, they plan to hide him in the woods. Um, and they want to break Ray's arm or like give him a cold or something so that he isn't good merchandise. So they can't replace the missing Norman with him because Emma's got a broken leg. So if they get Ray sick or something, then they're not going to be like, okay, well, Norman's missing. We'll send Ray, right? And they remake the rope. They give it to him. Uh, they give him the disarming device for the tracker. And and Ray explains that he's always known what's been going on. This is where, okay, so this is where you find out more about Ray. Ray has a lot of layers. Ray is an onion. He is an ogre. He has a lot of layers because this is a whole nother layer to Ray. And there's one more to go at the very end. But he explains that he's always known what's going on, literally his entire life. Because he has, he's one of those rare people that had like infantile forgetfulness. I don't know what it is. Basically when you're a baby, you have memories, but as you get older, you lose those memories as standard because you don't need them, right? Your brain doesn't need them to have those memories. But there's a very rare percentage of the population, and this is true, this is a real thing, that doesn't forget those memories from when they're in the womb, from when they're an infant. Um, And he is one of those people that doesn't forget. So he has memories in the womb, he has memories of being a very, very young baby, um, and he says they are few and far between, but the ones that he does have are very, very detailed. And um, he has some that explained what was happening, and so he knew from day one when he was in the farm, what it was. And uh, that's how he was able to approach Mama when he was just six years old, just five or six years old, and say that he will work as a double agent for her. And that's when he started working on the tracking device at five years old. Uh, He started working on the device to disarm it, slowly asking for gifts from Mama for his reports and using parts of those gifts to make the disarming device whilst not being... Suspicious. Don't be suspicious. Don't be suspicious. What did you think about that um, revelation? Big brain. Big brain. Literal big brain. But I don't know. It was a really odd time in the show because they were... I just felt like the pacing was really weird because at this point, like, I was wanting to get stuff done. But essentially, I was like, oh, Norman, no. Yeah. So it was a really odd time for me to try to remember how I kind of felt because going through this time like I vividly remembered everything mm-hmm. I was just like I know what's gonna happen I know all of this but I also can't remember how I felt at the time mm-hmm. it's really weird I always feel weird covering shit that I've seen before yeah Trying because to I know these questions are coming so I'm like I don't know how to answer this I don't know how I feel yeah what did you what do you yeah but what do you think about the fact that he had this uh infantile non-forgettable whatever it was thing yeah because there's a plot device yeah that's all I thought about is like okay I know why you're doing this mm-hmm. so okay yeah I found it kind of weird I'm not gonna lie I feel like they could have done something else to establish the same point like I feel like they could have they could have done something to make him I know why they did it because then later on like there's more revealed that relates to it but like I feel like they could have gone a whole nother level with it well because it's a real thing I feel like that's all they really needed out of it yeah but it's just a really convenient plot device yeah, I I don't know that I would have done that. Maybe 
Maybe if they did it, you could have added on, like, also having a eidetic memory or a photographic memory or something as well. Because that then gives him also more differentiation from Norman. And then it would explain his high test scores and stuff. But he's like, nah, I'm not smart. I just studied a lot because I knew what was happening. Well, they also never show the kids studying yeah. either. It just shows Nor- or Ray reading books. So I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I feel like they could have gone further with it. I'll it, we'll talk about it more when Ray's next layer is revealed, because that relates back to this and why this is even more so needed than just for this plot point of mm-hmm. having to be able to make the devices for all this time. Norman tries to escape uh, the next day, but just when the group think that he is successful, he returns, revealing that the wall beyond the wall is a cliff and he can't escape. So there's a wall, get to the edge of the wall, it's just a sheer drop. Like you can't scale down on the other side. There's nothing there. But like a good fair few meters past, the cliff ends and there's the forest again. So when you just like peek up at a tree and look over the wall, it looks like there's forest, um, which is why they couldn't see the cliff from from when they were climbing their trees to look over the wall. Episode 10, 130146. Norman tells the others that he never actually planned to escape in the first place. And he was always going to come back to be able to report their findings and sacrificing himself. Even after the one last ditch effort from Irma, trying to get him to... Uh, escape. He ends up holding his ground and refuses to go. And when evening comes, he packs up the foam cup. The You remember we were talking about the string foam cups? You were like, does that really work? Uh, when we were covering Kids on the Slope. Kids on the Slope, thank you very much. And you were asking, uh-huh. they're really a thing? And I'm like, yeah, they're really a thing. Well, there you go. Another example. Hmm. It was adorable, though. Yeah, it was. But he packs up his, his, foam, his phone cups and sticks them in a suitcase um, as a memory from his childhood, and leaves with Mama through the gate. He goes into the room, uh, he goes uh, through the gate into the tunnel, and he's about to head towards the truck, but Mama calls him back and opens the door and says, just, could you wait right in here? And she opens the door and there's a light inside, and uh, he walks in, she walks in behind him, the door closes, and that is the last you see of Norman. Do you think he's dead? No. I don't think so either. But I don't know what they're going to do with it. I have no clue either. either. But then again, it's never explained how kids are made either. So maybe it's an opportunity to make a deal. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Because he, yeah, I don't think he's dead. I, I think he's alive. I. He had a weird interaction with Mama when he was walking to the gate that they made seem important and then it wasn't referenced again so I feel like it might be something that's referenced in the future it might be nothing but he was walking with mama and he asked her if she was happy and she had a weird reaction to that do you remember Mm -hmm. and I don't know if that's important or not but I feel like because of the ending with mama and because of her reaction to him maybe she goes rogue I don't think so. I don't I think, think so either. But I feel like, but that compassion. I feel is... like there's something. I feel like there was something with that. I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe I'm reading into it. Like I don't know. Like I said, I think she starts to get a little bit of compassion for everything. Mm-hmm. But also, that compassion isn't going to save her life. No. No. Well, she's she's big dead. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> she's big dead. Compassion means nothing whenever demons go kill your ass. Yeah, especially when you have a thing trapped to your heart so you can't even escape. Like, you can't run away. Yep. She's big dead. You fucked. 
Yep. She extra dead. But what if the tracking device thing can fix her heart to where she can escape? Maybe. But I don't think so. I think she's big dead. Probably. But yeah, he goes into the room, the door closes behind him, we never see him again. Ray and Emma are miserable and barely talk or interact with the others or interact with each other. Um, they've just given up on their escape plan. Mama is, she's watching over them like like a hawk, but they've like fully given up. They're not barely eating or talking or Emma's just like staying in the infirmary with her broken leg and like sitting out under trees and stuff. They, they've completely given up. Mama approaches Emma with the idea of her recommending her to become a mama herself. But Emma refuses and uh, the weeks end up passing and soon it's the night before Ray's 12th birthday. We're in January now. Emma finds him saying goodbye to the house um, on his final night and he asks her if she truly gave up planning. Emma smiles. Cliffhanger, end of the episode. 140146, episode 11. Ray asks her how she how prepared she is and Emma's like I'm good to go like we're good to go at any time I've got my backpacks we got food we got everything we're all good to go we just need a a distraction so Ray tells her that he has that covered and that he's he's gonna burn the house down so mama will spend her time trying to put it out and the others can escape he plants uh, he reveals that he actually plans to burn himself down with it so that she's not going to abandon the house because she's going to be re- trying to recover his brain. And he is also adamant about the fact that he doesn't want them to get his brain uh, because it's going to be his last act of, like, revenge. It's like, mahaha, you raised me for 12 years and it sucks to be you because you didn't even get to eat my brain. But Emma has other plans. Uh, so the way they set up the episode is that you end up thinking, oh my god, Ray's dead. And then it's then revealed that Emma had other plans the whole time. But um, I'm not going to explain it to you like that. Uh, I'm gonna, just going to tell you what happened in actual order, in chronological order, as opposed to in the order that they show it. Emma has had other plans that Norman ended up leaving her instructions that um, have been planning things behind Ray's back for months because they knew that he was planning to sacrifice himself. Norman ended up seeing Ray's like secret cubbyhole with all of his stuff in there. And I ended up seeing some things that alluded to the fact that Ray was going to burn the house down with himself in so that Norman and Emma could escape. Also, whenever Ray talked about them escaping, he always referred to it as the two of them escaping and never included himself in the equation. So he had always been planning on the self-sacrifice. And this is where I'm talking about the fact that his character gets tunnel vision. Um, he ended up not seeing a way for them to escape without him sacrificing himself. And 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 because of that, he got real tunnel vision. And because of that, Emma was able to do all this behind his back without him ever knowing anything. They ended up telling other children about it. And uh, Norma, Norman and Emma had been telling other children behind Ray's back long before Norman ended up getting shipped off. And, and so the other children kind of knew about what was happening while Ray was the one who was kept in the dark when Ray thought the entire time that he was the mastermind behind the whole situation, but actually it was Norman all along. And they had been training for the past two months, were look, making it look like they were playing games, but they were actually training to be able to get over the cliff and and to be able to survive in in the, the forest as well and, and to be able to escape. Uh, but Mama was, wasn't paying attention to the other children because she didn't realize that the other children knew. She thought that Emma and Ray and everyone 
everyone had kept it a secret and she was only paying attention to a grieving Emma and Ray who were keeping up the act of grieving. Ray actually kind of was grieving, but also uh, had the suspicion that Emma was still doing things. But also in his mind, he was just going to be a sacrifice. So he didn't really need to be involved in their plans. But with the house about to burn down, kids put together a decoy Ray in the flames. Um, They set the house ablaze. They cut off uh, Emma and Ray's ears so the trackers are still in the house. And they all run to the border, except for little smart Phil. Or at least that is what you're made to think until episode 12. What did you think when Phil was left behind? They had something planned for him. Yeah, me too. Because at this point, I never had it in me that he was a double agent. No. I honestly kind of had it pegged that they weren't going to take any of the youngest kids. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I had it pegged for literally what it was. They clued in Phil to let him know, like, hey, like, we'll come back for y'all. We just can't right now. Yeah. So we need you to stay behind with everyone else and keep an eye on him. Because obviously with him being smart, he knew what would what to expect. Yeah. But I don't know. I found the show, like, oddly predictable in ways. I agree. There were definitely parts that are that are predictable in the show. And especially considering the fact that they do so much to allude that it's somebody else, that you know that it's somebody else. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, also, I felt like even though I found it oddly predictable, I think a lot of it was, was because I had a lot of time to sit and think on it. Because mm-hmm. I would just think about it in between episodes, be like, oh, but this could happen. But this could happen. Mm-hmm. Oh, but surely they would do this. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think they did anything in the show that was, like, ridiculously shocking. Other than f- flat-out murdering a child in the first episode? Yeah, first episode definitely set the pace for the show, but then from the- I mean, maybe breaking Emma's leg was pretty- like, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, I feel like that was probably the most shocking, like, second bit out of all this. Yeah, but the rest of it I feel like it's decently predictable. For a show that's yeah. supposed to be so, like, mentally, like... I feel like... I don't know what they could have done, though, to make it, like, oh my god, there's no way I would have ever predicted that in a million years, you know? If they had told it from a different perspective, then maybe. But the fact that we were right there with these incredibly intelligent kids... Yeah. And, like, they were basically laying everything out in front of them. Now, was Ray being a traitor a big plot twist? Yes. But again, I just guessed it right off the bat. I absolutely didn't guess Ray's connection to Mama, though. See, I didn't guess that, but I knew he had some sort of significance to Isabel. Yeah, I, f- I figured that she had, like, a special place in her heart for him, but I didn't it didn't register that that, that, that was the special place. Well, I kind of had suspicions just because hair color and everything else. Because yeah. I don't understand what it is with me, but I like to look at stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I like to look at hair color and eye color and be like, one of these things is not like the other. Mm-hmm. But also, why but else would he, but... out of everyone, be the one getting special treatment? Yeah. But like then he said that he was the one who approached her as well, though. So, yeah, I don't know. I didn't see it coming. because Especially because she's got such violet eyes and he didn't. Like I said, I didn't think it was going to be to that extent, but I knew he was special to Isabel. Yeah, I figured there was some kind of relationship between them. But, uh, but anyway, we will discuss that relationship right now with episode 12, 150146. The group explains to Ray that they left everyone under the age of five, um, promising to come back and save them before they turned six, which is the minimum age to get harvested. Um, and they've been training for the entire two months that they were pretending to grieve. Phil is best boy. And I don't know if he's 
actually evil, but right now in my mind, he's adorable. Uh, but if he's evil, he's still adorable. <laughs> but in my head, he's adorable. I think he's so cute. His little mm. big eyes and his little pouty mouth. And he's freaking, yes, cute child. But I feel like, I don't know. I feel like he might be sent him from the outside world or something. I feel like he was put in there for a purpose. There's more to fill. So I need to be filled in there, please. <laughs> um, But yeah, so uh, they throw ropes across the cliff. And in going instead of the bridge, which is what everyone suspected. So the bridge is where the tunnel is to escape. So every and like that the rest of the whole area is surrounded by this giant cliff. So when they were escaping, everyone was like, oh my god, they're gonna go to the bridge. So we're just gonna ramp up security on the bridge. But they didn't. They they made a zip zip wire. Zip line? Zip zip wire line. Zip line. Zip line. That's what it's called. Out of know. bed sheets. They did. And coat hangers. And and they hop across the bridge. But, of course, because suspense is a thing, just before the final uh, kids are about to go across, Mama is sprinting to them, and Phil is distracting her with the other babies, but she ends up saying, stay here, I'm gonna go catch the other kids. And she's sprinting to them, we're getting flashbacks of Mama's life, and she gets up onto the wall, and she's running across the wall, and as she's running across the wall, there's one little girl that's like, I can't do it, it's too high, it's a cliff! And so Ray is like, strap onto me, I'll take you across. And then the other two boys go, and then it's just Emma left, and Emma is standing on the on the wall and mama is standing on the wall and mama is looking at emma and emma is just about to go and mama's getting flashbacks of her life and emma's like peace out bitch and goes down the thing and then mama's left and she takes her hair out and has a l'oreal moment where she shakes her hair out and more flashbacks to her life and you find out that she had a little crush when she was in the farm on a boy playing the mandolin and the boy made up a song on the mandolin and he was playing the song on the mandolin and then when she became a mama and the boy got sacrificed and she became a mama and she got pregnant because that's how they made more children for sacrificing. She sang the tune that the boy made up on his mandolin and then Ray was birthed and then he, she was a mama. She was looking after the kids. Ray was sitting under a tree singing the song because of his fetal memory syndrome thing where he can remember stuff while he was in the womb. And she's like, how do you know that song? And that's when the association is is made that Ray is her son. And Norman's with them in spirit. Ray was completely played by him and admits it. Mama tells Phil that they made it across safely. So Mama knows that Phil knows. And and the escaped children end up watching the sunrise of their first morning of freedom. And that is where we are left off for the end of the season. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. So one final surprise. What do you feel? How do you feel about um, Mama reporting to Phil that they made it across safely? Well, I mean, obviously, since they left some of the kids there, like, she knew somebody had to know. And why not be the smartest little shit out of the bunch? Mm. So what do you think but next season's going to consist of? Them trying to make it in the outside world. And I feel like season two's going to end with them getting ready to storm the orphanage again. So do you think they're going to try and go find, like, William Minerva or whatever his name was, the author? I feel like he's going to be dead. Yeah? But that's just me. I don't know. I feel like maybe he would have made like an association of people or something. I don't feel like it's going to be just him, you know? Yeah, I'm not sure. I really want to go back and read the manga again after this just yeah. to get a heads up. That way I can just sit there and whenever we sit down to discuss these and talk back, ha ha ha, I knew all along. I knew all along. I knew all of the secrets from the very beginning. But I don't know. I feel like there's going to be a lot to discuss and a lot going on for sure. Yeah, agreed. What are your predictions? I want to hear them. Dawn and Gilda, one or the other, but maybe both, are going to die. Some of the kids are going to die. 
Mm-hmm. Like, shit's going to hit the fan in the next season because I feel like they're going to have to step their game up, especially in the two-year absence of the show. I feel like there's going to be a couple deaths coming up as well. I wonder Most if we're going like- to get any scenes from Phil's perspective inside the house or, like, what's happening to the kids inside the farms or if we're only going to be following Emma and Ray. It would make sense to just do Emma and Ray if my theory is correct. Mm-hmm. But what about yours? What do you think they're going to do with the second season? I definitely think the second season is going to be following Emma and Ray predominantly. Um, I feel like if Norman is alive, the only th- the reason why I'm curious about, uh, the only reason why I have suspicion that he's not dead is purely because they didn't show his death. And they have been, not been shy about showing death. So for them to allude to the fact that he died, but they didn't explicitly be like, he was here's his flesh in chunks, makes me think that he's still alive. But I feel like it wasn't really necessary, though. Because we've seen how they kill people between Connie and Sister Crone. Well, we didn't see how so, Connie died. We just saw that Connie was dead. Yeah, but you see with Crone, that's how she was killed, basically. I don't know. I don't, I don't know if Norman's dead or not. I feel like they would have shown it. I don't think he's dead, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was. No, agreed. Agreed. Just because I feel like it wasn't necessary to show him that he to show that he was dead because the show to the average viewer would make you think that he's alive just because you know surely they wouldn't kill off a main character but if he's never shown again it wouldn't surprise me yeah i yeah no i feel i feel like pretty confident with that as well but um i don't know i feel like there's more to it than that just the way that they ended off felt like it wasn't the end of the story i wouldn't be surprised if he's dead but like we find out more about how he died later. Like, they end up, like, he is dead, but then we end up, like, bumping into a scientist or some brain dude or a demon or something that ends up explaining that he went through a experimental phase where they, like, I don't know, ran tests on his body or something, extracted his brain while they tried to keep him alive or something. Or he mm. had to, like, work on a mission or recruit a new kid or something before he died. And that's why we didn't see his death was because he did die, but there's more to it before he died that we don't know yeah. yet. Or he's just straight up not dead. I feel like they are going to try and go after this author. And I feel like they might find an organization or, like, more people. I feel like there's going to be introduction of, like, multiple new characters. And we're going to learn a lot more about their government and society. Because right now, we're kind of kept in the dark as to why this is all happening, why certain humans are allowed to wander freely and why others are farmed. Yeah, I feel like season two is going to be more world building than anything. Yeah, absolutely. Especially considering the fact that the kids called them demons, but when they explained what they called them to Sister, she just said, ah, that's what you call them, and then didn't elaborate. And she also said, Sister also said that she was going to talk to them about him, but then she was killed before she was able to tell them. Mm-hmm. And then there's that weird thing with the flowers as well, where they yeah, stick so... the, the buds in and then the flowers bloom and turn red in the mm-hmm. bodies and the corpses. And that's not explained. And at first I thought it was symbolism, but then they like actually did it to her and I was like, oh, okay, not symbolism. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to the world building in season two, for sure. Mm-hmm. Just because it left on such a cliffhanger and there's a lot of stuff that's not explained. Yeah, agreed. So, what do you rate it? Uh, I'm gonna give it. Uh, I'm gonna give it a solid, a solid uh, seven and a half out of ten. Hmm. Super bingeable. The super fun to watch. I enjoyed it a lot. Wouldn't consider it a horror. It wasn't labeled as a horror, so I'm not gonna like 
say it was. There were some cheap jump scares in it that I personally don't appreciate. I'm not a big fan of cheap jump scares. Um, they also did that thing where they tilt the camera to try and make it look, I don't know, what's it called? Uh, Freaking, I know it's got a fancy film name where it's like they try and they do a tilt shift and it's used in horror films all the time and it's kind of um known to be by like fancy film people it's like oh you did a whatever tilt shift mm-hmm. you know and I did that a few times and I'm not sure how I felt about that um because it's known to kind of like be like made fun of in the film community when doing it with horror films and uh, mm-hmm. like you do it with cheap horror films to make them seem like more highbrow mm-hmm. I feel like I didn't need it. And they did a lot of, like, cheap things like that throughout this show to try and get you, like, jump scares and things like that. But if it's not labeled horror, I don't think they needed it. So for those things, from a critical standpoint, kind of dark some points. Yeah. I feel like it was more shock horror than anything. So Mm -hmm. I feel like it could, even though it's not labeled that way, that's Wikipedia labeling it. So do with that shit as you will. Mm -hmm. But I feel like it... If you think about it hard enough, it can fit into the horror category, but mainly just because of the thriller title that goes with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely I feel, feel like most horror films fit the description of thriller better mm-hmm. than anything, but it's a lot easier to lump it in with horror. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, I feel, yeah. I wasn't scared throughout it. Um, I didn't shed a tear, but I did tear up when Norman was saying goodbye. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. Like, I, I wasn't that emotionally invested, but that's because you, Norman was more two-dimensional than any of the rest of the characters. It was more Emma's reaction to to Norman than Norman yeah. himself. Mm-hmm. And Ray, because he didn't show emotion until that point, really. Yeah. Yeah, so it was more the other people's reaction to him leaving as opposed to Norman's actual departure. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. that also, like, I didn't actually shed a tear, and they could have had me sobbing at that point. Mm-hmm. Um... Yeah, they could have made it a lot more emotional than what they did. But mm-hmm. uh, again, I didn't feel like it was really necessary either for the show being what it was. Yeah. Sister was pretty one-dimensional. And but they went, they, they did. That's the anime's fault. And that's why it docks points mm-hmm. for me. But they did the whole thing where they tried to make her, where they tried to make you feel sorry for her. Like mm-hmm. towards the end where she, where they show her backstory and then they, they show her last moments wishing the kids good luck. And she's like, I hope those brats escape. And change our world. Uh, mm-hmm. Because she had such a hard life and she wishes that she could have changed it, but she didn't change it. So she she's sending it on to the next generation. But because you have no mm-hmm. emotional connection to her at that point, because the backstory wasn't good enough. And I think the reason why the backstory didn't work was because it was all done right before she died. And I feel like if they had interspersed it previously, then mm-hmm. they could have made you feel things for her whilst she was making decisions. But up until that point, she'd been really one-dimensional. Then had the flashback then died mm-hmm. and it just left i don't know i, I was like okay yeah, i don't really care yeah i feel you on that yeah and her death wasn't scary definitely not again i felt like it went more shock horror than mm-hmm. anything yeah they could have done they could have done a lot more with it oh, I, yeah, I, yeah i think that's my biggest crit- uh, criticism of this is i really enjoyed it definitely worth a watch um, do recommend it to watch if you want to like binge something if you're feeling kind of spooky but you don't want to actually be spooked um, it's a good one to watch. It's not super dark, which is one thing I appreciate. Uh, I don't like how a lot of horror films or like scary stuff are set really dark constantly. And then when you watch them on your laptop, all you can see are fingerprints. It's super annoying. <laughs> yeah. Um, or like dust or, you know, the glare of your TV or whatever. It's super annoying. This one mm-hmm. wasn't ridiculously dark. There were a few moments where I was like, oh my God, I can't see anything. But, um, it's not crazy dark. So it's decently lit, which I appreciate. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, I definitely think it's worth a watch. But I do think that they were kind of holding back a little bit. Yeah, I totally feel you on that for mm. sure. There's definitely a lot that they could have they could have done more with what they had. They just chose not to. Yeah. But that anyway. could have been because they didn't expect to get a second season. So that's true. What do you rate it? Seven, seven and a half, something like that. Yeah, same as me then. I have similar gripes as you, but again, a lot of that comes from my A, more knowledge of Sister Crone, and also OP and ED. Mm-hmm. ED docks points. Mm-hmm. But yeah, definitely enjoyable, definitely worth giving it a watch. I highly recommend it, especially if you are a fan of like the thriller, shock horror genre type thing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that. But can definitely recommend it. It's worth a watch. It's worth the binge more than anything. It's not like ReZero to where it's a tough binge to get through because it's just emotion after emotion after emotion. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely recommend. Totally worth a watch. Yeah. That it? That to wrap up? That's it for me. If you have any final comments on the show. So, you can find the absolutely lovely Blue Lavender on Twitch Monday through Saturday, except for Wednesdays and Thursdays at twitch.tv forward slash Blue Lavender. She typically streams between 8 to 10 mountain standard time yes that is the time zone i live in she typically well at this point she's mainly doing art except for the occasional minecraft stream yeah i still have spyro that i need to finish and um i also am gonna be doing some horror-y spookery stuff throughout october but um yeah so all my paintings and stuff are also gonna be like spooky themed too yeah speaking of spooky horror october streams next thursday podcast willing Dead by Daylight stream. Possibly, yeah. We might be having some fun doing some Dead by Daylight. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be fun. Yeah. I mainly look forward to torturing my friends, but that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) But you can also find her sometimes, occasionally, maybe, once she feels like it, on Twitter and Instagram at BlueLavenderSTM for all of her photo-y stream update things. Mm Mm-hmm. And also on TikTok at BlueLavender because she does the TikToks for all of her artwork. I do, although I haven't posted in a little while because the last one I posted was an absolutely mahusive painting that we spoke about actually earlier in the podcast. So, um, yeah, I haven't actually posted for a little while. So I need to get back on to posting on TikTok. But that's enough about me. But if you want to hear about Brad, if you like his face or his voice or his bants, then you can find more of him on Brad Carter Gaming on twitch.tv slash Brad Carter Gaming. Um, he's also on uh, Instagram, same handle, Brad Carter Gaming. He doesn't have a Twitter, but he does run our Twitter and our Instagram at BNB Anime, where he posts some good memes, some good jokes, some updates on the podcast as well. So if you want to know uh, what we're recording, when we're releasing, all that jazz, it's all on the socials um, and you can hit us up there. Uh, we also have a website. Forgot about that. <laughs> uh, where all of our previous episodes have been archived. That's www.bnbanime.com. And we have all of our previous episodes on there, as I previously stated. We also have some intimate, and some information about who we are, what we like to do, background, picture of our faces, if you want to put a face to the voice. We also have... Um, some pictures of our artwork, both Brad and mine, Brad's digital art, my traditional art. It's a good time. Um, and, uh, also all of our previous episodes as well are on our YouTube channel, which is BNB Anime, same as all of our handles. BNB Anime, uh, YouTube channel has some fancy old thumbnails on there and you can listen to all of our websites. You can also leave us some fun comments where you can 
give us your opinions on what you think our opinions are <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, throughout the shows. Because like, like we've said many a time, we are not professional reviewers. We are just two goofs that like anime um, and have our discussions with it. So feel free to give us your actual opinions on stuff because like, like we said, we don't know what we're talking about. We do not have film degrees. We do not have actual analysis happening in our brains. We're just, we just like anime. So let us know what you like. Let us also know what we should um, review, talk about in the future. And also, um, let me know your biggest fear. I want to know what your biggest fear is in, in the comments, either on YouTube videos, or you can hit us up in those DMs on the socials, comment underneath any of our Instagram posts or reply to our Twitter. Um, let us know what your biggest fear is for this spooky Halloween. And whether or not you're going to cosplay. Are you going to cosplay? Trick or treat. Trick or treat. Are you going to trick or treat? I don't know how trick or treating is going to work with COVID this year. I have no clue. No clue. But candy. Candy. <laughs> that everything that's everything yeah so thank you all so much for listening blue and i greatly appreciate it next week spooky month rolls on with dead man wonderland something that blue and i have both seen in the past however i thought it was fitting to cover and also it's ruined our lives with stuff so might as well ruin y'all's with it because it's dead man wonderland is definitely one of those special cases isn't it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just Spent. because we've talked about it before with shows which ones do and don't get second seasons. Yeah. This one was absolutely massive as a cult classic in the Western world, but in Japan, it flopped. So we'll never get a second season of it, and it's definitely disheartening because where the show leaves off, it's... You really want a second season. A hundred percent, yeah. Um, And uh, it's been a long time since I watched it, so there's a lot of stuff that I've forgotten and I'm super excited to get back into it. Oh yeah, same. I haven't watched it since I first got back into anime four or five years ago now. Yeah, Something I think like the that. last time so I watched I'm... it was in high school. So yeah. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to actually being able to sit down and cover it again. Mm-hmm. So look forward to that next week. However, again, thank you all so much for listening. We greatly appreciate it. We'll catch y'all next Sunday for the next episode. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.